everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. I'll keep this short because I think the boys do a pretty good job of providing some background on our guest, James Fitzgerald. Here's a little of what you're in for. James has thought long and hard after a passionate career in fitness about how intentions drive the evolution of our involvement. What's clear in this conversation is that James is committed to the support of qualified coaches and fitness as an art of physical expression. Here it is, episode 371. Exercise. Welcome back, Luke. Hey, guys. What's going on? You guys roast hey. me? Yeah. Not at all. No, actually, we didn't even notice that you were gone. Well, I've been here the whole, <laughs> I've been here the whole time. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking just, about. Not really just a valuable contributor. So mm. we just kind of just... Mm. Well, it's that time. Good, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Luke. And Tex here. Special guest of a friend of the podcast, John Wellborn. Founder, CEO, power athlete. Ladies and gentlemen, you listen to another episode of the premier podcast in strength. And conditioning. Ding. Ding. That's right. We have a repeater today. The fact that you, a repeater that you give me the, the side look waiting for it and you know it's not going to come. Right. It's great. It's the old dead horse trick. It's great. It's the, it's the old dead horse trick. See now. Ah, the old dead horse trick. I love that. What Tex is doing here is a repeater. What I'm doing here is the repeater, John. That's right. And we have a repeater today. We have James Fitzgerald on the podcast today. We are going to talk current climate of coaching. We're getting into the nitty gritty of, well, I don't want, is it doom and gloom? It depends on what, how you see life, really. Uh, you know, the problem is, is I think in today's present climate, Interesting times, as you've looks been saying, right? Doom and gloom. I would agree with that. Like, uh, they're, you know, hey, uh, you know, the COVID, we flatten the numbers and then they spike again. Mm -hmm. So uh, I feel like the doom and gloom is going to stay until November. And then once the election's over, the sun's going to come out and it's all going to end. You think so? I hope so. I hope so too. Nonetheless, you know, it, I think it does come to perception because here, if you are a gym owner, if you are a coach in this space, and hopefully a parent too, because we talk about really the responsibility now that lies on the fam familial unit for fitness and its importance in life uh it may seem like tumultuous times but really it's it's an opportunity to step up and and stress to progress and because, adapt yeah because things are changing times are changing as i always say john and james has a really interesting perspective and outlook on where this is going and one of those things is just Stepping up and honest, in what what would he, what do you say? Criticize bad, criticize bad ideas. Is that what his his yeah. call to action was? Which in our language is battle bullshit, mm -hmm. and that's what we get into today. And you get you get tools on that. But one of the big things that we talk about and what James talks about is re-educating coaches that come into his his framework of running their business. And ladies and gentlemen, if that's why you're here, we have an opportunity for you. Tex. At, a pow at excuse me, academy.powerathletehq.com, we have a number of courses and opportunity to step up your education, in particular directed at the field and court sport athletes. Two different tracks. Number one, an ACL injury prevention course mm -hmm. that gives you assessment tools that you can apply to individual athletes. And then the programming piece to bolt on to their regular strength and conditioning program or their practice warm-ups. 
that are aiming at targeting injury mechanisms. And number two is the Power Athlete Methodology course where Boom. we deep dive into principles of training. It's as we discuss with James, his program has based off principles similar in respect to ours, but we're directed more towards the filter of unlocking athletic potential. That's right. Through the definition of athleticism. Right, and that is a deviation from possibly the misappropriation and misapplication of a lot of the fitness principles that coaches are exposed to or are practicing with, let's say, the parents of a young athlete. So they, they say, hey, got mom and dad in great shape. We just need to get junior in great shape. Well, not necessarily. And that's where the methodology stands out is it's differentiating the training, the same tools, the same movements, but a totally different outcome that we're looking for and james will speak to the value of individuality and developing a program for an individual well this speaks to also the importance of a life cycle of an athlete and applying the appropriate program for that teenager who's visioning empowering their performance for the field and the court and that is our methodology in a nutshell that novice athlete so we teach strength and conditioning through principles and then provide the tools to coach a novice athlete to then a program that will help carry over to their sport. Mm -hmm. Exciting stuff, ladies and gentlemen. Academy.PowerAthleteHQ.com. That's where you're going to find more info. If you go there and you can't figure it out, you don't deserve to be there because it's front and center. What, am I wrong? Why you got to be so uh, Doom and divisive. gloom over you there, know, man. Doom and How's gloom? that divisive? I mean, you're trying to draw lines in the sand. We, we want everybody that comes there to try to not find the, what they're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to not, not, not be liking it? Um, <laughs> you better not, not say that again. <laughs> but thanks, uh, thanks for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. We're getting into the talk now. We're going to talk a little bit of, like, origins of OPT and OPEX, and we're talking a little bit of CrossFit and GG, the future oh, of CrossFit. Yeah. So we got some juicy stuff. So enjoy the show. And the original episode with Fitz ah, is... that's right. 339. Number 339. Yeah. So a different time of year, and now we get into a lot of juicy stuff. Yeah. So, juicy. So if you... Yeah. If this is your first time listening to OPT or James Fitzgerald on the, the yeah, he's a podcast... Sharp, he's a sharp dude, man. We, we do Go have follow-up questions from our previous interview. Yeah. So I do highly recommend going back. Yeah. We yeah. didn't ask many of the questions from uh, Instagram, did we? No, I, I put my phone away. Uh, James himself asked, this is pretty funny, actually. James, I put up, John and I, asking four questions from the audience, uh -huh. and which we didn't get to. I mean, two hours plus conversation, we didn't necessarily yeah. require them. But then James asked his own question. And he says, why does OPT not have hair like these two gentlemen? <laughs> I was going to say, all right, James, question from a James F. No, no, no. It's too uh, obvious. Jay Fitzgerald. Jay Fitzgerald. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, he's a good dude. We should link up with him out in AZ. Yeah, no, I, I definitely like to. He, um, uh, he's he's a sharp dude, and um, I've always kind of appreciated what he's doing in terms of the periphery and you know the more and more kind of contribution. I think he's uh, he's a guy who you know has thought long and hard on how to uh, best kind of alter the trajectory of what yeah. we're seeing today not only in health but like i mean it's such an interesting point with like health fitness sport yeah what and, it weaves into right and we kind of look like i personally 
I think it really makes sense where you're like, hey, you know, as a kid and for an adult, like training for sports that you're in some, you know, to be able to, this is the training that allows me to be able to do X. And then you get to this point where like, well, what if I don't play sports anymore? I really go back to that useful thing. And I talk to him about it, like just the fact that, you know, they, those dudes almost shit their pants when I picked up that, that axle and just threw it in the back of the truck and was like, oh, I think it was no big deal. And these dudes, like three of these guys couldn't get it. And uh, I was like, man, but like, that's the ability to be able to go out and perform tasks and be able to be useful. Like, I never want to feel like a prisoner that I can't go do something like, hey, let's go out to Destiny Rock and go high. Oh, I can't do that. I'm, I'm not yeah, in shape. I'm on a bulking cycle. So, John, but this goes back to our offline convo, which maybe is relevant, is the the con- the context of useful is so polluted because we exist in this like what we call like kind of like an unnatural overly stimulated and, type and of network of people right but and if when we were you said our, that if we were in our tribe of 50 yeah. useful becomes very clear well when, when uh my thinking is so different when you said it in that direction i'm like Oh, yeah. For most people, they're useful. It's like, well, useful is me getting up from my computer to be able to get to the refrigerator so I can stuff food in my face. And, like, we don't look at useful that same way. Like, uh, you know, you have to be, I mean, Tex drives a 80s pickup truck. I mean, he very well might have to be able to push that thing at some point, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, there, there's a whole, you know, uh, I guess our, our definition, the way we look at useful is the, abil- uh, the ability to accomplish any task. Can I change a tire? Can I push a car out of uh, out of traffic? Can I pick up a car axle? Can I, you know, can I lift weights? Can I train? Can I, you know, if we got to go out there and cut trees down, could we go out and cut and fell the trees and drag them out of the creek? Yeah, 100% we could. But how many people, if you threw those tasks, like their definition, like that's what we look as useful. Maybe most people don't view that as useful. Well, yeah, it's I, I would never change a tire. I'd call AAA. If the car was broken, I'd just leave it in front. I would never go out there and cut a tree down because in my apartment complex, I can't cut trees down. Mm-hmm. You know, So I think it's... Um, well, you can. You're just not supposed to. Yeah, you're, yeah, what you're I've not experienced. <laughs> you know, but like, or... Uh, so it's... Um, uh, I think the problem, and we talk about the fail at the margins of your experience. I think we're at a point now where we're failing at the margins of other people's experience oh. because we're trying to put and frame things in such a way that makes sense to us, realizing that there's a whole uh, group of individuals that have never even cracked into any of this thinking. Mm -hmm. And I think he's attacking it in an interesting way. Yeah, um, definitely. um, So, no, it's a fruitful talk, man, and he's a sharp cat, so I appreciate the the opportunity to talk with him. Well, enough. Enough about us. Let's just let the listeners listen to the listening portion of the listening show. Shall we? We shall. We shall. I'll tell you what, I was just in South Dakota on a hunting trip with my, my dad. And I guess you call it hunting, but it's a simpler life out there. Mm. Like, yes. you know, and I imagine probably similar up in Idaho. Like, it's just like there's a different type of calm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, it, there is. I agree with you. It's a different energy. Uh, I'd be lying if I said you can't feel it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the sleep is different, uh, yeah. you know jumping in the water and uh, being out on the water in the morning time, um, being deep in the green, not as many people around. Yeah. Totally. You can feel it. No, it sounds great. No, I always liked Idaho. Uh, my brother went to school at Idaho State in Pocatello. Oh. So he went there for a couple of years. And then, um, so, yeah, and I'd skied in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and been all over that area. And, I, man, I always really, like, um, not only Jackson Hole, but actually farther north in Montana. Uh, my mom's from Lethbridge. It's a... Uh, you I never know knew that. that. Oh yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no. My mom grew up in Lethbridge, and um, you know, we used to go to the Calgary Stampede every year and all that stuff. 
as oh, wow. you know, as you probably know about. And uh, <laughs> so our family reunion every year was actually in Whitefish, Montana, which is you know oh, pretty beautiful. short, for, pretty short drive. And then my aunt and uncle uh, were yeah. living in Edmonton, and then all my cousins that were uh, living in Nanaimo and also on the island over in Vancouver and all that. Wow! So they John, would all a lot drive. of Canadian influence. Oh yeah, well, I mean, uh, yeah. yeah, my my grandmother. That's why I'm back for round two, right? I mean, yeah. you must have something in you for Canadians yeah. for some time on. So yeah, so the uh, uh, so like that whole area, like from you know Montana, that whole deal, like I've driven that whole, you know, like across the border, and like all there, like you know, Lethbridge and that whole area, which you know when we were, it was a little town. I mean, it's since grown, but I remember as a kid going to the Calgary Stampede and just like the amount of people and, uh, but yeah, I've always love that world that part of the world and i always tell my wife i'm like you know it's nice here in texas but uh like that area that we would go to when i was a kid in whitefish is like like that would be i'm like you know what um i always told her i'm like if you divorce me you can have this place uh you can forward my stuff right there to montana i'm happily live up there <laughs> yeah what is that do you think the, the shut it down uh, concept of being in an area like that because i i feel that i don't tell too many people about it but uh there's something about that, I think, just shutting it down and being out in, in nature uh, like that, possibly. Um, you know, uh, I love to drive. This is the weirdest thing. Like, I love road trips um, by myself. I like to personally take road trips. I don't like to go with my kids and my family because i got to pull over every 20 minutes. But, like, uh, just that, like, uh, the ability to, like, drive on the road and be able to see mountains and that and then pull over and just, you know, like, get out and walk around and just see it. Like, I remember one time I was in southern Colorado uh, I was just outside of Albuquerque and I drove up and I was uh, driving through like Southern Colorado near Durango and uh, like right on the hi- like right on the highway I had to stop because there was like thousands of elk crossing the road and I kind of just got out and I sat on the roof of my truck and watched it like thousands of elk run across the road and I remember thinking like it's a pretty good life right here <laughs> you know? so and I, I think it's just maybe what we've constructed in the urban area is a little unnatural, you know, and it's like, I guess to bring it into the, probably what we'll be talking about here. It's probably like frying yourself with all sorts of stimulus in the gym. And then like when you feel like shit and you're just like, I'm going to do some, some walking and bodybuilding. And you're like, wow, that feels really good. You know, just like kind of calm it down, get the stimulus out, uh, get in an environment where you don't hear the noise. You don't breathe the air. Maybe it also something, um, like, uh, Like for me, at least, uh, going back to my youth, something I connect with um, because, like, nostalgic so, type deal. So when I was a kid, um, my mom and dad had a place up in Mammoth, up in the Sierras, which is about 420 miles, about six hour drive from LA. And we used to go up there all the time. And like, as soon as we got there, we'd like unpatch the fishing gear, we'd go skiing, whatever it is, in the winter and the summer. And like, just like as soon as I see the mountains and I see that kind of area, it just kind of takes me back to when I was a kid when things were a lot easier. <laughs> like, I, I was trying to explain to my kids the other day, I'm like, you realize that this Netflix thing and like what we have here on TV, this didn't exist when I was a kid. And they were like, couldn't wrap their head around. I'm like, we had probably three channels. There was nothing ever on. So we didn't really watch much TV. Uh, blockbuster video, John, basically <laughs> <Yeah>. Netflix. <laughs> Unless it was a Saturday morning. I told them, I'm like, cartoons only happen on Saturday morning from about 7 a.m. to about 9. And that's all you got. And it's yeah. just like. Uh, three channels. Yeah. It just, yeah, three channels. But like, uh, we, we took the kids down to go fishing down in Port A. And as we were sitting out on the jetty, like trying to catch fish, uh, they were like, man, we should go fishing more often. I'm like, Yes. Believe me, if uh, we could go fishing every day, I would gladly go fishing every day. There's nothing more I like than wasting time not catching anything on a lake in a beautiful place. 
Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, if yeah. you don't catch anything, I'm like, let me tell you, even if you go out for eight hours and you fish and you don't catch anything, it's a bummer, but it's not really that big a bummer. <laughs> yeah. So like trying to explain this. I, uh, I, I pinged the, I pinned the question cause I just, um, curious what others think about that. I actually do have a thought on it as a, like a yeah. generalized concept. Uh, but, um, and it's not only biased to me, but just working with, or I guess asking that question to people and trying to seek out like what, what, why I feel that way. Um, I think we do have an architecture in our brain that, uh, um, it could be more on the masculine fold of this opportunity for, uh, uh, freedom and uh, that happens through seeking. So the you're actually not so unusual about the driving concept. Um, I think that's definitely going to sit more than a uh, a masculine freedom boundary for people. Um, and I think it does come back to your point of, you know, those offerings are not widely available to us um, to today. I think and uh, I don't know. I think that's where we may be able to stick our stake in the ground on what it means and where it comes from. I think. Well, it's, uh, you know, like, it was such a amazing time. I remember when uh, we moved, you know, we were in Newport Beach. As you've been out to California, it's so congested. And then our move out here to Texas, it's just so nice to get up. And, like, my neighbors turn their horses out in their pastures uh, this time of year because, uh, you know, we got because I, I seed the pastures and, they, you know, hay runs thin. So they'll turn them out and I wake up, you know, at like, six, you know, 530 and I look out there and I can see the horses out there and just, like, being more connected and more seeing in nature, it just feels not as, uh, as frantic mm-hmm. and just, I totally understand, man. I, I love that part of the world. So I'm, I'm like, mm-hmm. damn, that's, that's pretty cool. If I could talk my wife into that, I'd definitely go. Yeah. Have you guys watched the, uh, alone series on, uh, on Amazon? Nope. Is it, I have not. is it a drama? What's breaking down for us? Yeah. We haven't seen it. Yeah, no, it's, it's connected to our topic. Uh, the, uh, yeah, alone, I guess I do have to explain that. Uh, this, I actually got onto it because a gentleman up here, I think it's called Rathdrum in Idaho. He had won the season six of alone where they, uh, they take these 10 people and put them off into, uh, <clears throat> just far off places. I think where this group was, was the Arctic. Um, another group was Patagonia. Another group was Mongolia. This more recent one is uh, great slave Lake for John. You may know that Northern Alberta, just yeah. North of there. Anyways, they put these people off. I'm coming back to the point of the, you know, being out there and finding something good in it. And you basically have to survive with just 10 items, you know, so you have to know all the, and anyways, the appreciation I'm getting from it tied back into our conversation is that I wouldn't last a fucking day out there, but it's a good, (laughs) it's a good, but it's a good reflection of, I think some of the things we may, we may think about, which is like, uh, when you don't have much and when you only have nature, like, and you only have your children, you know, what, what are you capable of? And, what are you willing to do to basically keep that thing moving? And uh, it was just a stark realization that I wouldn't last, you know, hours out there. Um, maybe, maybe a couple of days, but you got to be, you know, when you got the basic tools and you don't have an iPhone and porcelain uh, and, and stuff, then it's real. That's real. So to so, your point, John, you know, seeing elk going across the highway, I think that's, it's a, it's a touch of reality. I think that's what hits us. Is just well, reality. I think we, uh, you know, I think, uh, I don't know it's kind of a weird thing like um i find like saturday it, it as you know in arizona and texas it's hot like so uh all day saturday we have these crazy gourd melons they're like called ground gourd melons and they just kind of grow when it's hot and they get like kind of okay. these long kind of vines and 
they just kind of stink. Like they, they kind of smell like BO and they have these little things. So uh, they kind of piss me off. So, but they are, but like when you get down to the root, they're probably the size of like a watermelon, but they only have kind of a little sprout at the top. So I dug these things out from like probably 10 to 2, about four mm-hmm. hours, like went through the whole property, dug them out. Uh, I was still tired on Sunday when I got up and I was like, man, that's like a good feeling. Like the feeling going working out is fine, but like sitting out there in the sun is probably why I'm so tan. Uh, being able to do this stuff, it's really, it's pretty rewarding. I mean, just like you said, like you're up in Idaho, I mean, the ability to go for a run or even just go outside, like, I don't think that stuff is under, like, I think that stuff is highly underrated. And especially, yeah. I wonder if it's just from, from the emotional stuff, I mean, just to be able to get out and reconnect. I mean, people are just so devoid of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it may, I mean, we know, may not be too far off topic, but it may tie into uh, uh, fitness intentions, right? Because fitness is really a social architecture, you know, of, uh, uh, it's very similar to the iPhone. I mean, there's no real reason for us to do fitness or to do hard shit. So um, you you decided to pick at the melons, you know, uh, but yeah, with a pickaxe. People. It was fucking great. And then I and, and then I went and yelled at my kids. I uh, I channeled my dad who would who would start working and then come in and scream at us to get out there and help. So I waited about an hour and then until it was nice and hot. Then I welded it or went and yelled at my kids to come out and help me, which was even more hilarious because they're like, it's so hot. And I'm like, there's a hose over there. You want me to drink out of that hose? I'm like, yes. Like every child born in the 80s, you're going to, or the 70s, drink out of a hose. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Dude, oh, it's, I it's, uh. God told me about that. Can you imagine proposing that today? Uh, were you from, um, are you from Calgary? No, I'm from Newfoundland, Labrador. Oh, are you? Okay. Yeah. Far east, uh, yeah. Like just south of the 60 latitude. So really tundra, northern Labrador. So how did you get to Calgary? Uh, so it was, uh, I was 18, um, when I left home because I thought I was going to play soccer, um, and then was injured, went back home, um, dug myself out of depression, went to university and then saw that Newfoundland, um, just really didn't have the society or the community around this concept of fitness. And, uh, like you would know, John. Um, sort of keep those out of conversation. I don't know if you know the history of Western Canada, but in the late 90s, oil was like, well, you would know that in Texas, right? Like, that was the place to live. Like, well, you know, all my cousins. Tens of thousands of people going there every summer. Yeah, like my cousins worked up in the Northwest Territories on the refineries. Yeah, so, I mean, there was a ton of money and affluence, and so people were active, and there's money to spend. So I moved in uh, 98 out to Calgary and was there until 2011, when we moved to Arizona. Yeah, I remember driving through like Lethbridge and up to Calgary and that whole area and just being like, this is some, I mean, we, we saw it in the summer and, uh, you know, my aunt and uncle lived in Edmonton, so we'd go over there in the winter and we'd go skiing at Banff and go to Lake Louise and which to this day still might be one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. But I remember skiing down in Banff and it being like negative 40 and my brother and I are the only guys out there on the slopes. You ski one run, and I ended up falling, and then you got to go in and like basically like somehow warm yourself up to be able to get the balls to go back out there. And I remember thinking like some real skiing. It was great. No, we I I loved all of our adventures. Yeah. So I so that uh, weather you're talking about for cold. I grew up in that in uh, eight months, eight and a half months of the year. That was Labrador. Mm. Minus thirty, minus forty. But you you mean play hockey, you skidoo, uh, you trap, you know, and uh, um. Yeah, go to the cabins. That's it. So you doing any of that um, out in Idaho? Or are you just doing all um, kind of summer stuff? Let me think. Well, indirectly, um, I'm not uh, hunting. Um, uh, but I am uh, I am being outdoors more, I would say that, uh, than in what I am in AZ. Uh, right behind my house in AZ, I do have an unbelievable mountain biking 
area. So I just bought a bike that's going to um, give me the opportunity to do that a little more back there. But uh, no, I don't participate besides some hikes with my wife back in AZ. I'm not participating in as much of nature as I am up here. Yeah, one of my favorite spots in Arizona is um, up at that Four Seasons Troon. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's like, north of us. Yeah, that, yep. uh, man, that's one of my favorite places. Ironically, yeah. the first place I ever, the, only, the first time I ever went there was with uh, CrossFit and Greg Glassman and CrossFit mm-hmm. HQ. That was their hangout. And we went there and I was like, man, this is a badass place. I'm definitely coming back without these fucking assholes. But uh, <laughs> I try to go there every year. I love it. And I love all the hiking and all the biking and all the stuff around, man. We've had a blast. Yeah. Yeah. So I live on the uh, mountains that that pushes up against. It's a Sonoran Mountains, Sonoran Preserve. Yeah. And we live up against those. So that's my that's my backyard. Oh, nice. Epic. Yeah. Well, you yeah. definitely uh, upgraded from Calgary. Yeah. Well, I, I lived on an acreage. <laughs> Listen, I would take back my time on Calgary, too. I mean, it's a tough comparison, but uh, we had five acres on an acreage where OPT was the business that I built right next to my home. Um, and uh, I don't know. There was some good shit about that. Uh the dog, you know, bringing back uh, moose bones and coyotes and owls and, and uh, just having land. There's something good about that, too. Yeah, I mean, that's what we have here. we got 16 acres here and power athletes here and the office is here and everything's in case. So it's um, it's pretty nice. I, I have a, about 1,400 foot of creek front and I own both sides of the creek. And uh, there's a waterfall on one side and then a, a dam on the other that the old man that um, we got the property from built in the 50s. So it's uh, it's created this kind of captured area, and because of it, it's so fertile that like it looks like something out of like Vietnam kind of forest almost. And so I was uh, kind of going through and being like, how am I going to weed this thing out? So I've been talking to one of our buddies who's local around here, CJ. I don't know if you saw on our on our chat. Yeah, chats. yeah, I caught up today. Yeah, he's got like a badass skid steer, and we were looking at all these mulchers, and I'm like, holy hell, man! Like. I'm about to go mess this thing up. So I've been trying to do a little bit of research, but it's fun to try to figure out some, some neat problems and to have some like unique stuff. And then, uh, you know, I get some really killer neighbors and people that just kind of look at me kind of cross-eyed when I start talking about this stuff. They're like, you're going to do what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Um, so I think they, uh, they, they appreciate my uh, stupidity and being able to decide to do anything, but I figure I can pull anything off. What do you, what do you uh, tell them that you do? Uh, you know what? Um, uh, it's really hard to explain to people what we really do. And I'm sure you get it. Try to explain it to me because I'm interested. <laughs> what we do here at Power Athlete. Uh, yeah, what, what, yeah what, is, what is this whole thing? Uh, Power Athlete, global strength conditioning. I mean, uh, really kind of similar to you guys in that we're really focused on education and providing people just some really good training resources. I think we saw, um, you know, coming out of a really broken market with CrossFit and a lot of broken CrossFitters that there was definitely a better way to train. And, um, you know, when CrossFit approached me about developing kind of a strength and power and speed, you know, version of training uh, translated into CrossFit, which was the CrossFit football stuff, um, it, uh, it was a lot more appealing to the masses more so than what the CrossFit was. And it's pretty interesting that, like, hey, I just want to bang some heavy weights. I want to do some short conditioning stuff. And I want to build a big aerobic base, which I think everybody kind of gets to eventually. I think we just got there a little quicker. And then when that kind of transferred over into Power Athlete, when we realized I was building a ton of infrastructure and time and money and expense into a brand I didn't own and I didn't believe in. And at that point, you kind of have this weird, I don't know, come to Jesus moment or just this weird, like, I always think it's like Doc Holliday when they, like, gave him the badge and he slipped it back across and said, hey, you know, my hypocrisy doesn't go that far. You know, where you realize, like, man, I can't continue to 
try to put good work into a brand that doesn't want it, doesn't need it, and more importantly, mm-hmm. is unappreciative of it. So at that yep. point, we started working with, you know, just doing everything that we're doing in Power Athlete. The other thing from teaching a few hundred seminars is I realized how uneducated the market was. Mm-hmm. Uh, people would come to our seminar and we would talk about just basic concepts that people had no idea existed because mm-hmm. the person who was, you know, the head of CrossFit told them that there was no worth worthy uh, contribution for strength and conditioning by anybody, any sports scientist. <laughs> and, uh, like, you know, we're in there talking about, you know, I mean, just, just even basic stuff, like talking about muscle contractions and understanding, you know, physiology and rate coding, just some really basic kind of concepts people just didn't know and they just kind of thumbed their nose at it, that there was some you know, imaginary black box, you just throw all these things in, you shake them up and instantly there's, you know, some model of fitness, which, you know, when you look at CrossFit, the, uh, you know, increased work capacity, broad time, modal domains and functional movements are formed at high intensity. I mean, it's kind of self-serving for, you know, for their style of training, you know, and, but if you look and I know you train, you know, CrossFit games, kind of competitive athletes in fitness, mm-hmm. you know, not necessarily CrossFit, but with your, uh, um, you know, fitness league and that stuff, I mean, it has to become somewhat, periodized and it has to become specialized because you're looking for a specific uh, individual mm-hmm. and a spe- specific response. Um, the other big thing was I just thought that uh, strength conditioning for how it was being taught and more importantly the way that people were putting out the information was kind of broken and so we okay. wanted to kind of create uh, just a better conduit to getting coaches more more ready to train athletes. Like That was something, you know, like uh, let's say you're a young intern and you go intern with a strength coach. I mean, you sit there and you you know, kind of count reps and you kind of watch, but like there's really no kind of maturation process. And I wanted to kind of yeah. speed that up with what we're doing with our academy. And then the other one was just, um, you know, not only teaching people to fish, but showing them how to fish. So that's really where we got into the programming stuff and started offering different programming. And what was cool with that is it allowed me to test a ton of different ideas I had on not only athleticism, but also strength and power and speed and, you know, being able to kind of work these things in and, and then be able to collect all the information. So um, yeah, within within the CrossFit space, James, we well, where we made our bones essentially is progressing beyond the generalist. People mm-hmm. come in for the general GPP functional fitness approach, but then you have a client who has a specific goal. Well, you know, here's a framework how to identify and and with to be more specific, it started with football players, but then power sports, but then stick and ball and field sports, and then okay, let's shift the paradigm and reverse engineer based off. Uh, you know, the set principle, what are we trying to accomplish here for this individual that a general program may not be optimal for? Mm-hmm. And so that thought process is what we really tried to communicate with a tool bag of movements and assessments to help a coach who hasn't been, like John said, formally educated in the strength and conditioning space, help identify these things with their, you know, the proverbial coach's eye. So yeah. that that's that was the origin, like how I would interpret yeah. it, because I was that... Gen- I came through the system as one of those coaches, you know, like I was a GPP guy. I went to my, get my level one. That was my step through the door of coaching. And I played sports prior to that. And I was playing some weekend warrior stuff as well, doing the, just like kind of the main site type deal and uh, played some flag football. And the fitter I got, you know, I'm going to use the quotes for our listeners based Mm -hmm. off my uh, benchmark wads in CrossFit back in 2007, the worse I got at flag football, (laughs) you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah, And that's how I found John and CrossFit football back then. And uh, it all just kind of made sense to me and brought me back to what I was doing when I was 14, 15, 16 years old, playing high school football. I'm like, oh, okay, start to understand the specificity behind this stuff. So that's the message. That's the wardrobe we've been 
we've yeah, been we, beaten for a while. I, I just, so semin seminars, seminars, are you still do seminars? Uh, not as many. I mean, we, we still do uh, a handful and then we do a ton of private stuff. So with like the military and other gigs that we do, but for the most part, uh, we put a bunch, almost all of our education online. And okay. the biggest reason was, um, as we went to go teach the cross, I mean, I will never, uh, not say that the opportunity we had to basically work with that many people. I mean, we were thinking like, what were we talking about today? I mean, oh, tens of thousands of people we got a chance to work with. But through the, the CrossFit? Yeah, through mm -hmm. the CrossFit seminars over nine years uh, was just how undereducated people were that actually owned gyms and were training athletes and working with people that, like, just didn't even understand basic concepts. Um, things that I would just expect anybody that's training athletes, I mean, you know, just to basically have a conversation on physiology, you know, uh, and then, you know, like, it, it, it was just... <laughs> It was interesting to go through and realize how uneducated the market was. So that's kind of was the beginning of the methodology to be able to go back and, and say, hey, you know what, if there was a course, almost like a pre-course that people could go to that would have the basic information so that when they showed up, we didn't have to waste six hours teaching just basic concepts that you should already know. And that was the challenge, James, is you have 30, 40 people in the same room, but all of them have different education levels and experience coaching and working with athletes. So finding that time within two days to get, make sure every person had a takeaway that they could apply the next day. So with the online course, now what we have is an opportunity for everyone to learn at their own pace. And then we host some in-person deals and they are in a position to learn. And we can really deep dive on specific concepts because they have a base level of knowledge. So that's one beneficial thing. And now with a lot of the in-person coaching opportunities going away with the world we know it's it seems we were a little bit ahead of the game with the the online approach that we took yeah i, I was i wasn't uh, that wasn't a softball to get to that point but i <laughs> i'm in that place as well and uh, i always ask that question you know in terms of impact um like what does impact mean and what's your definition of success and um so there's questions that i have not just for you guys but always for myself is like how am i measuring um, how that information gets disseminated down that is actually a working program. Um, being online, um, you can scale and put your information out further to more minds. But in my opinion, this is my biased opinion, it actually lessens the impact long term uh, because people are actually not, we're not taking the time. So learning takes time and learning and uh, learning does take three days, you know, uh, for John to make fun of someone 25 times. So by the third day, they get it, you know? So online, there's a massive opportunity for scale and economy, but I think that person never gets called out 25 times. So you can for sure, hopefully see that they end up in front of you over time, which is what my class is called immersion. So they do all that learning and then they're in person, yep. but I'll be honest here. They're still not deeply impacted so that I know they leave the next day and they're actually implementing all those things effectively. So that's why I asked you about what your operation is. Cause I'm just curious about how you measure what impact is. And I guess you know, measuring in, that, in know? that space, it'd be, there's just so much variability in the individuals who show up to our in-person assessment, James, and what we, we don't have a firm metric or, or threshold for positive impact, but, like or acceptable impact, but we I would be shocked if there wasn't positive impact or forward like an increased trend line towards understanding a more effective way 
to coach what we refer to as our primal movements and to take a novice athlete because we we're really steeped in life cycle, like a life cycle approach in the sense that you wouldn't apply the advanced training that you would apply to a John Wellborn 10 year NFL veteran to a kid who's, you know, just strapped on shoulder pads for the first time and never lifted a, a weight, but is using the training as a vessel to performance on the field. Well, that, that was part of the frustration, too, when I looked at how people were training be, beginners. And, um, West side, conjugate method. Yeah, I mean, it, it was so complex. And, uh, like, people just wanted to kind of add more and more complexity to this thing. And I think they did it out of maybe job security or maybe ignorance or whatever it is. Um, but the one thing that really kind of tripped me out a little bit was, um, do you remember the NFL strike? It was in 2009, 2010? Remember the NFL went on strike and they locked remember, all the, yeah. yeah they locked all their players out, and I got like, I mean I I must have got a hundred emails and probably at least that many phone calls, from people that own CrossFit gyms that had NFL players walk in and say hey I need you to train me, that the only background that they had in training, uh, was their CrossFit level one and what they've been doing in the gym and you know boot camps and mommies and daddies and these people and now all of a sudden here's a person who you know, gets paid millions of dollars to be able to go do this, and you have to effectively help them on their journey and, and assist them, not hinder them. And uh, it was like panic, phone calls, emails, texts. I said to these NFL players, what should I do? Did you come to the seminar? No. Uh, man, um, okay, well, we have templates. I mean, like, how, like, you know, like hitting me with all these questions, and I'm like, hey, man, I'm really excited to be able to help you and do all this, but are you telling me that, you didn't prepare for the fact that maybe somebody of value that's not some mom, the 40-year-old trying to get in shape after a baby, somebody that actually needs to perform at a high level, walks through your door. No, I felt like I wasn't prepared for this. And that was super frustrating for me because I'm over here, you know, just out of the goodness of my heart because I don't want to see anybody get hurt, uh, trying to help these guys. And there was like a resistance. Well, the, well that, that isn't what CrossFit taught us. That isn't what we know. And I'm like, the paradigm at which you were educated in is a broken paradigm by broken individuals that have never trained athletes for anything, ever. And then, like, it was just, like, this realization. What do you mean? I'm like, I'm telling you, man, it's, uh, um, this is kangaroo court, man. This is a joke. I'm like, if you try to apply your principles that you understand for CrossFit to these athletes, it will effectively speed up their exit out of the NFL. And uh, just trying to help those guys. And I think that point was when, was really the first deviation for me. But that's when we started kind of going in a different direction. I realized what we were doing wasn't enough. And we needed to be able to provide more education and help people along. Because if you're going to, you know, open a gym and you might have somebody walk through the door, I'm sure as uh, you've seen, where you've had some high-level athletes walk through the door and you're like, thank God you stopped here and not the other guys down the street. So uh, that was really the first piece but um, the other one that was just really frustrating to me was uh, how people like uh, were training athletes not necessarily at the point they were ready. I mean, as you know, you know, when the student's ready, the master appears. But like, not everybody needs the same master at the exact same time. You need somebody when you're a beginner and be able to take you on that journey. And uh, I just didn't like the fact that you had, you know, this guy said, hey, you should do this program. And he's an NFL strength coach. And, you know, he's working with the world's best athletes. But, of course, that's the program that all these high school kids should be using. And then they wonder why it's super complex. They don't get better. They don't understand just basic physiology. And, you know, uh, you know an unadapted central nervous system needs to continue to drive, you know, different movements. And it just it didn't seem complex to me. Uh, but it was amazing how uneducated people were in how to you know take athletes on this day one journey and progress them on 
And I think the one thing we did very well, and I always count as kind of my mark of success, is how many athletes or how many coaches that we've educated that have helped kids get full scholarships. I mean, it's numbers in the hundreds. So I yeah. always feel really good about that one because that was, as you know, going and playing you know, uh, sports at university and getting your school paid for is an extremely amazing thing to have happen. So if I can help kids get that opportunity, I'm more than excited. Yep. So it sounds like the inspiration came from just a, uh, a recognition of a lack of education in an area that probably hit home for you. And uh, um, also the um, um, just to, not, not to, you know, take away anything from your last point, but it's all still guessing unless there's measurement, you know, it is. And it's OK. It doesn't doesn't you know, doesn't matter. It's not we could still sleep good at night thinking that we're making an impact on those people implementing. But um, it's all guessing unless there's some measurement of that. And there's lots of reasons as to why that'll never be measured because it's just it's just chaos out there for what people learn. But I'm just seeing it to today because I and it's just pretty today. I just got off a call for two and a half hours with 65 coaches from around the world who just want to start their journey on CCP. And I would agree with you, but I also lean up against not being uh, being more empathetic to the uneducated, uh, undereducated. And I, I lean more against like, well, what are we doing to create the system that creates some principles that people can honor? You know, and I think that's that's lost. So that's I'm just curious around, you know, everyone else's building up of how they do that, because I'm still trying to improve it with the coaches to just to make them more aware, like wake up, just ask some more questions. So I don't propose that they are going to go out and teach NFL football players, but I want them looking uh, over here, looking at the program going, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That makes sense because they can see the principles involved in it, right? What are they capable of expressing? How does it carry over to what they want to express? Those kind of things. So thank you for answering that. Yeah, you got it. What, uh, uh, so what you do with your deal uh, at OPEX, I mean, is... You guys work with athletes, you guys uh, certify coaches, you guys do education. I know um, I've seen some OPEX gyms in the area, so I know you kind of do uh, some actually OPEX branded gyms, but I'm sure you also do some affiliations or, you know, some certified gyms. Yeah. Yeah, so the, uh, the athlete sense is largely saved for competitive fitness athletes for online coaching. That's called Big Dogs, which is still owned by OPEX. But um, we have... Uh, 400 uh, clients around the world participating in competitive fitness. And if they're not all in there, that's largely their intentions. Um, CCP is principles of uh, fitness. Uh, that sounds very generalized, but that's what it is. Um, and when coaches go through it, they learn about business, uh, consulting and how to build relationships, physical assessment, program design and nutrition and nourishment. Um, and at the end of that CCP, they have all the principles in place. So there's lots of argument of what principles are, but they're the base of principles of years gone by of millions of people with that experiment called physical expression, you know what I'm saying? Um, and then our gyms was honestly just my uh, attempt to put a stake in the ground to stand behind something that I think is professionalizing for fitness coaching. Uh, there was no system support out there for coaches who have some good principles that wanna like have people in front of them that are not broken <laughs> behavior wise. Um, where we're not chasing the next new trend thing or so we're giving people what they need to get based upon where they sit um, and it's great to have gyms which they're a licensed program by the way they're not franchising just want to be careful of that um, they're licenses um, and we have them uh, around the world we're growing very slowly because it's a uh, it's a very challenging proposition to teach people about individual design and autonomy um, 
yeah, so those are the those are three. Do, do you guys do, like, is it group classes, is there, or is it more each person comes in and is assessed and actually written kind of custom programming, and then they kind of train within maybe open hours or a bigger group? Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant about the, even the language, the concept of it is not even well understood in strength conditioning. So you can imagine the market's concept of it is, is fucking like it seems like it's, uh, you know, artificial intelligence. Um, but it's not group. Uh, hashtag not group. We're definitely not group. Um, we're individualized design. But the concept is that a person comes in, our long-term goal for that person is autonomy, meaning that we eventually want to set them up so they don't need us anymore. So they learn about shit for exercise or teaching their kids or just doing it in their own home gym long-term um, so they can just sustain and enjoy physical challenges. <clears throat> so we give them a behavior and exercise and nutrition program um, the exercise program takes place in our micro gyms. So, but they're doing it in place uh, where a coach is on the floor watching multiple other members do their own program. So it's a, you know, it's basically the way I liken it so everyone can kind of figure out like, what the fuck are you actually talking about? It's what happened at every seminar at lunchtime. That's what happened. And the reason why I use that example is that we were so dog and pony behind this group concept right that no one wanted to talk about in the seminars right um and then at lunchtime everyone's on their own program and i'm like what the fuck you know like what the fuck you're all doing what you're what you're capable of doing um and it's designed either by a coach online or a coach that's nearby but so that's what our opex gym process is, is individual design done in a micro gym setting yeah i mean it's got to be a better model i mean i remember you know having owned a crossfit gym and you know doing group training classes uh, it just felt like a, a race to the bottom, you know, I mean, just a commodity, like there was no, uh, you know, and I know we had uh, personal clients and we had people that we worked and even there were, you know, groups within groups when you start kind of figuring out that not everybody's going to be able to do the same stuff, and, but people want to come within times. It actually makes a lot more sense to have kind of an individualized deal where, you know, you come in, that person does the assessment, they figure out where they are, what they need to do to improve. You set up a set of goals and a matrix for no, whether or not you know that you're, you know, reaching that success. And then, you know, you basically probably set that person up and give a watchful eye and make sure that they don't fucking kill themselves. So, yep. on yeah. that, on you got to define better, though. That's uh, the thing, John, you raise a good point there is that I think that's where the biggest issue has been is uh, it's really hard to define mm -hmm. better. Like what is better? And then that has to be contextual. So is, you know, is group class better for a coach? No, it kills coaches. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. That's not like a, an opinion. That's a fact. Um, is group class is good for the owner. It's really fucking good for the owner because it's a scaled opportunity to just churn transactions, right? Is a group class good or better for a client? Yeah, if they just love dancing, they could do that on a Friday night with a couple of drinks on top of that, but they choose to do it in a, in a social setting with dead mouse in the background. So it's, it's, you got to define what better is. So uh, the reason why I say that is that our individual design, I can virtue signal that all the time to be better, but until I define what I mean by it, um, it, it is better for the owner, it is better for the coach, and it is better for the client. So is, is this, is the group concept a reason why community in a, a group class gym tends to transcend the program? You know, I feel like it, that's what I'm allows not sure. gyms to thrive. Do you know what I mean by that, James? Yeah, well, I'm not sure. I think that it was hijacked because there was an opportunity for money-making. Mm -hmm. I think everyone hijacked this, which is ironic. It went from community into a mob mentality. Um, but that should happen. But it took 15 years as a social experiment for us to recognize 
that whole Kool-Aid we were drinking on raw, raw and community and being together with people was a hijacked concept, mm -hmm. right? For incorrect intentions. So I, I don't think it, it, I don't think it's higher order. I don't think it leads to much other than money making for an owner or one owner of the entire system. Yeah, the top of the pot. Well, I was uh, I think I, t I was talking to text today about this where I um, I said you know uh, the interesting Good, thing goodwill yeah yeah like uh, uh, there was a point where in you know about this like probably 10 15 years ago there was a lot of goodwill people were willing to do stuff because they believed in this kind of better good and you know glassman used to task people with these you know uh, projects and this tasks and there was this feeling of like we're building something there was all this goodwill and then pretty soon you realize that the <laughs> that it only goes one way and all it's about is about putting money in that dude's pocket and the goodwill never flowed back and I think that the uh, the days of goodwill are over. I had somebody hit me up on a project and was like, "Hey, this," and I'm like, "Man, this looks like a lot of time. Uh, what's the financial? You know, because goodwill's fucking dead." I was like, "Man, I gave all my goodwill ten years ago. Um, so if you're asking me to do goodwill, it's fucking going to get put on the back burner with a lot of other shit that you know that are fantasies. If there's money, if there's a contract, if you need me to design something, you want to set something up, then let's get the business up set up first. Let's figure out how everybody gets paid, what the expectation is, and then we'll execute it." I was like, man, I, you know, I don't work for a data boy or a pat on the back anymore. I did that shit. I'm over it. And yeah, we just um, never asked the questions, right? We all, we all had great intentions. That was the thing, but we just never looked beyond it to ask the questions. But I think it was at a time where it was a ripe opportunity for fitness, right? So it was a it was a beautiful intersection of technology improvements and people being interested in fitness, right? And a fuck you to endurance, right? So it's like, here's high intensity. Here's online. It's mass mass appeal. Anyone can do it. We're all going to jump on board for that, right? Because we want to get our thing too. But then after a couple of years, it only took us a couple of years to go just a fucking second. Mm -hmm. Just a fucking second now. It depends on what boat you're in, how successful is this for people, right? And the social experiment, you know, has, has not lasted. And current times would indicate that, that it does come back to haunt you. And it's a bitch if you have the first four letters of culture being cult inside your, your <laughs> concept. Well, I mean, um, yeah, no, that's... No, there. I mean, if, if you analyze cults, I mean, you know, CrossFit fits right into it. I mean, if uh, I, I took a class in college that analyzed cults and behavior, and you know, I was pretty quick to peg CrossFit. I'm like, okay, unique clothes, different language, uh, you know, this constant us versus them mentality. You know, and as you saw, like all of a sudden you go from one day everything being fine to do you hate us? And I'm like, you know, and I'm sure you ran into that with Castor on those guys, where all of a sudden now you hate them and you're against them, and you're like, so you're saying I'm mad at fitness? Oh, or I have a question because you guys are horrible business people and just bad people in general. You know, and it was just, it was very, very interesting how they kind of. Yeah, well, a lot of people, it. it's hard to today, too, because a lot of people can't think for themselves. So I'm empathetic to that. Um, and everyone who knows knows. I mean, I, I love a lot of people. I actually love them as humans who are still inside of CrossFit and still do that. And there's well intentioned people, right, that are doing lots of good things. Um, and we could safely have those conversations. But. Um, I, you know, I say that with a somewhat of a heavy heart because it is a, it's a disdain on fitness now is that we can't even have the conversation on what's best for fitness without people just, just getting a knee jerk reaction to like, he hates group. That means he hates CrossFit. That means he hates the whole thing. It's like just a second now. Well, no, it, just, it, I want what's best for the person and the coach over time. I've clearly laid my cards on the table. Well, we, I mean, we talked about, um, it might behoove you to be able to do some strict pull-ups before we start doing a, a excessive amount of kipping just because you don't have the strength to be able to control the eccentric movement and that maybe it might lead to uh, maybe some shoulder injuries you hate kipping pull-ups therefore you hate crossfit and you're against us and i'm like 
man, I've only heard people jump to conclusions like this in movies and, you know, maybe some crazy <laughs> ex-girlfriends I've had. But I mean, like, well, that, was, that was the black box summit that went on for three days, right? Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, I mean, that we, we think this could be an idea that you proposed an open system, right? You proposed an open system education and we're telling you based upon our observations and empirical of data of this system that this is the way to eloquently put it into practice. And that's not how you do it. Ironically, of course, I'm repeating this from the last call, John, but that's how I answered that question. How do you make someone really good at that? I was like, you got to do lots of bodybuilding for a long period of time. Yeah. yeah. Can't say that, buddy. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, um, as you know, um, the dirtiest word out there was hypertrophy. <laughs> you know, when I started coming in and talking about, you know, larger cross-sectional size of a muscle and hypertrophy, it was like, you know... <laughs> Uh, I won't even use the references seeing as we're in this really culturally sensitive area, but it was like, you know, yeah, just a bad deal. And I remember thinking like, well, why did hypertrophy come become a dirty word? Like, why are you guys so scared of hyper? I mean, is it because you guys are all small? Well, it was trying to be counterculture, right? Because yet you're competing yeah. with like bodybuilding programs, you're competing with endurance programs. So it was the us first them. So you had yeah. to draw the line and say, no, 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 they're exactly. morons. We're doing it right. Let me tell you what hypertrophy is not functional. Let me tell you why it's not core to extremity, you know, like, yeah. and going back to the self-serving definition, uh, uh that, that within that framework and the, the, the course, it just didn't fit, fit the narrative. So you, you blacklist it, whoop its ass. Right. Yep. Yeah. That's eloquently stated. Um, they pushed up against who's wrong and who's right in your thought. And they didn't even allow people to think that. Oh, that's that was me. Like, man, way. I'm That's the perfect way to get information across, right? Is it, that we don't need you to take the extra steps to think about those things. And we don't want you to, mm -hmm. right? We need you to say this, right? And so that was a very lazy, easy system for implementation. And of course, scale and economy, perfect timing. It all works out well. By the way, John, I changed my language over time to motor control and volume. And it honestly works a little bit better. <laughs> I, I just knew that. I just knew that hypertrophy was too hard for people to handle. So I just like, well, actually, we're just doing lots of reps and we're just building great patterns of movement. They're like, oh, yeah, 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 we're behind that. It's like, okay, well, why are you doing press singles for everyone today? You know, it's like, uh, so it backs them up at least to get out of what the dogma was. Well, I mean, um, you saw it in the same deal. I mean, for the same reason that when we went out and taught all these seminars, getting up and teaching a contrarian really just attack and like how we were basically couching this thing it was like seeing people short circuit and you could see like the emotional issues that people were going through because i've been taught to believe this this is you know like you're you're telling me there's more than one messiah that there's more than one way and uh then you start realizing that hey you know when you start doing it if if this is your end game you're not going to randomly get there nobody's randomly getting there and it's just breaking down these pieces i mean when you know, CrossFit football came in and I started dropping uh, periodized strength conditioning templates with short conditioning workouts. Uh, like, fucking that exploded people's minds. Like, you're, wait a minute, you're, you're going to lift weights every day? Not yeah. to mention the bench press. Yeah. Oh, dude, people were so upset about our bench press. I remember, like, programming, like, uh, hammer curls and getting hate mail because how dare I program things that are unfunctional. And I'm like, um, I don't know. I mean, hammer curls have always worked would work good with a bench press, so well, why not have them? Then those? you just change the language to a dumbbell power clean. That's true. I had <laughs> seated dumbbell uh, hang, seated hang dumbbell power cleans, which mm -hmm. just look like hammer curls. Don't yeah. rotate your hands. 
Yeah, so, they, 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 no one will do, everyone will think lat pull downs for five minutes is stupid as shit, but they'll do ski erg for five minutes. Interesting. What, uh, I mean, did you think it was just like the the right message at the right time when this whole thing yes. with social media yes. just was like, uh, yes. like lightning? It was, man, hopefully someone writes a great story about it with a good tone right just on like the, the fitness we do need a new book we do need a new book on fitness transformation for 30 years we do because that story will be a couple of chapters um because they leaned up against a perfect timing right where everyone at the end of the 90s were like we fucking got this in science right like we got fucking muscle fatigue we got vo2 max like we fucking we're on to bigger and better things, changing cancer, improving all these fucking things, right? And then he just saw an opportunity. He saw an opportunity. He's like, I got this concept. I got this idea. This is what I'm seeing. And it's all well and good. Like, I think there was some deeper good intentions behind being like, you know what? Just rethink this concept, right? Rethink this concept, which ironically is the early journals, right? It's like, okay, I can rethink that concept. But it became a really strong fuck you. And that's where it divided lines. And mm -hmm. at that time, if you get out in front, you own it. And they got out in front with the concept um, and then just started piling on evidence of high intensity models and fucking just it was a shit show. So, well, I guess while we're so on much the, information shared while we're on the subject, James, did, did you have any like meaningful or solid one on ones with GG in your early days? Like when it was still he was the original of, CrossFit Games winner. I understand. But like the one like a one on one just kind of technical no, talk. No, I did exchange. No, uh, no, not at all. Uh, That's what's CrossFit. so shocking. Yeah, well, I did a couple of level ones um, and I did one in Orange County. He was teaching with Nicole and, and some others during that weekend. So I got to hear uh, the message then I shook his hand and took 500 bucks at the games um, and then uh, we had a call about um, my my program and my friends and carefully choosing my friends um, around the around the black box summit time. I was in Arizona with my family and I got on a call uh, with him and which I found immediately weird is that there was other people on the call, too. Um, and they were like <laughs> handing over the phone and then coming into like I'm listening in, et cetera. Anyways, I was I was it was on a conversation. It was a good conversation to talk about what my program could do for assessment and design inside the process. Right. But what I took from the call was, and I'm not going to say these are the words said, but you got to choose your friends more wisely if you choose to be a part of that system. Um, and I clearly said, um, you know, these people who at the time, whether I was right or wrong, would step in front of a fucking truck for me. They would have, uh, Greg Everett, uh, Rob Wolf, um, and a number of other folks, who, you know, really would, you know, maybe I was incorrect on that, but I was like, no, I, I, I choose to still believe in what this is for fitness and design. And I appreciate all that shit that I've learned from methodology, but I'm just using it as a compliment to what my perspective is. Right. Um, and then from there, it, it didn't work. I immediately um, took away my affiliates. I went home and was uh, disgusted and in despair actually, because I felt like I was, I had the veil pulled over uh, add black box summit to that and you have you have someone who's inspired to, to teach coaches about that methodology in a, let's call it a much more precise manner yeah man i can still remember the day of the black box Summit. i was a young and impressionable wasn't thinking for myself james i was on those crossfit forums i forget who reported it on their blog first there's like what, four blogs what was the year 
man, it was Navistar days. So I was fake. I was pretending to work at a cubicle, just reading CrossFit blogs. <laughs> CrossFit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that was a that was a bonkers time. But in retrospect, like no, not shocking, right? And just how the culture just continued to permeate that, and like independent thinkers just got squeezed out. And were the Russells around at that time? No, they didn't. They didn't yeah. come in, and they were. Yeah. Yeah, he's the one that asked about uh, the the question, which everyone knew the tone was that. I think it was Berger. Yeah, that, for um, sure that's a Russell. Well, Russell Berger, Berger was yeah. there, but the other Russ wasn't. They hadn't yeah, no. brought in the Voltron. No. Oh, of I don't think he was born yet. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, he, he was, he Texas, was Texas training partner. Yeah, they didn't unite the Voltron of douche until he later. Was, he was studying Arabic at Georgetown University at the time. Mm-hmm. We, we were rivals back then before his... His ascension. On. Yeah. Well, yeah. uh, well, Russell, no, Russell asked the question about, uh, you know, hey, smarty pants. You know, that's basically how the tone was. Yeah. Like, hey, smarty pants. How yeah. would you do it? I was like, I'd bodybuild people for a long period of time before dynamic contractions. Yeah. Like yeah. It's, oh, my gosh. it's amazing. I mean, how, if. if <laughs> well, the, the problem was. It doesn't I, fit the narrative. Didn't fit well, the narrative. Uh, yeah. I don't now, think. But I tell um, you what, you know, what could fit the narrative is a, a new opportunity for change right now where mm-hmm. a new open system was allowed, everyone gets back on board and has a say in terms of like how to push a positive goodwill narrative again. That yeah, could who, be a wonderful ending. Who's, who's the new... Um, Eric Raza. Yeah, do, James, do you know that this, the new guy coming in? Yeah, yeah, I do know Eric. Um, and from what I know, um, he sounds like uh, a great person. That's, that's all I know. Uh, I know from his connection to the True Coach uh, with a company that I had invested yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he believed in that. Um, uh, I've only known, you know, and I, I shouldn't be the one to create any kind of judgment or opinion on a person from afar, but he sounds like a, a good person and he sounds like uh, he's got uh, the right ideas, you know, from my periphery. But I'll, ha- I'll I, w- I would, I'm interested to speak with him sure. to uh, talk about what that looks like because I think we're all, we're all aware whether we like it or not that there's a, uh, a snowball movement that occurred that we can't stop that I think you need to push in a certain direction to make true impact long-term. Um, and this may be, uh, this may be an opportunity, I think for, um, for everyone to, you know, have their peace. Um, but to really like get over that shit that we tried to do in 2002, 2003. So you said in your, in the periphery, like, uh, is there anything on your radar about what, what the approach is to kind of steer the ship from I think that dude's just probably going through his due diligence trying to buy it and with all the good stuff that's coming out about CrossFit and GG I'm sure that they're in a a hell of a uh, interesting thing with lawyers trying to figure out like what's coming next am I going to buy a a company that's potentially going to be in a lawsuit I mean I don't know if you've seen these articles and all the stuff that's coming to light so what I don't understand what would happen if I purchase a company that is being sued or then get sued it's my yeah problem yeah so like for example if there was a class action lawsuit like you know uh, uh what was her name like uh, gloria Allred or one of those women come in and you know hey and you D- know daytime tv lawyers normally yeah the daytime tv lawyers normally what they do is they name loss uh people lawyers love to name as many names as they can in lawsuits and they usually name the deepest pockets so it'd be like this person this person this person all these corporations reebok anybody associated because their goal is to try to tangle as many people as they can in this just fucking web of shit so that they can try to get money. So anybody that would have any connection to the company 
at which times that they were say, hey, from this time to this time would be named within the lawsuit, and then it's up to you to defend it, which I can't imagine coming in and buying a company that was, you know, in, in the vault of something like this at this present part of time. Or maybe the dude's just such an opportunist, he'll find a way to power through it. So well, these are interesting times. Opportunist to see how it goes. Or, or, yeah, opportunist or good intentions. I think people in the end, we got to believe in that. I think if people have good intentions, it may... You know, they may just say, you know what, I'll, I'll take the hits and I deserve that because I'm thinking, you know, more clear and more further thinking down the road. Um, I, I would agree with you. There's probably things we all get into that we don't know what's going to happen, you know, in terms of that. But, you know, I think if you believe in it and uh, you want to go after it, I, I, I admire people like that, honestly. Yeah. Um, now, if it changes and if uh, things aren't, if changes aren't made that collectively everyone looks at and goes, okay. You know, then I think there may be some, maybe some questions, but no, I think, I think Eric has some good intentions. That's what my feeling is. Yeah, no, I've, I've only ever heard really good things about him. Um, I've never met him, but I, I'm familiar with his gym up in Denver and always, you know, people have always spoken very highly of him. So that's, uh, you know, uh, Rob Wolf, I saw him on Friday and he made a funny point. He's like, can you imagine if CrossFit was actually run by people that were actually legitimate business people and not going out of their way to try to fuck you and everybody else over at every moment and running it like a bunch of frat boys at a fucking, uh, you know, rush week. And I'm like, no, he's like, the company would have been a fucking juggernaut. And uh, that was, Rob just kind of like, was like, shit, that thing would have been amazing. But, you know, I mean, uh, here we are. Morally bankrupt, broken people, you know. Yeah. So you never know. It may, uh, you know, it's not like he can get to where he is based upon doing some shit ideas or shit deals. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's savvy and he may work. So, so in that environment, James, do a, are a lot of CrossFit gym owners? Is it are those the businesses that come to you to the CCP deal, or is it a, no, is it just one? Mainly, or the they're, other? mainly they're coaches. Okay, and, coach. uh, so you're the coach, yeah. not the business. Yeah, the gym. and okay. not in not in support from their owner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's I'm. That's generally the case, right? You know, so many chats on the in the conversation in Zoom is like, I can't take this shit back. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't I can't bring this shit back. I know I know too much now. I, I can't unsee what I know about <laughs> principles. Yeah. What? So what are the like? What are the experiences or the barriers or problems? I guess that the coaches are facing that ultimately lead them to to you guys. Mm. Well, I have a list here. Um, <laughs> Sounds amazing. Number one, he didn't. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't discuss this on Instagram. No. no, I just discussed this this morning. It actually is a script that I lay out. So the challenges that are imposed, or there's four of them, uh, there's fucked up fitness intentions today. The whole concept of it, of why people are doing fitness is really fucked up. And now we're generations deep on a fucked up idea around what fitness is. What, uh, Secondly, can, can you dig into that one a little bit before I'll come back to it? Okay. <laughs> Secondly, because it's a list. Know, I want to know how we're it's fucked up. It's a list. Well, I it's know, a list. You'll, you'll but my man, but my brain doesn't move that fast. You're effing this up right now. Let me go. So the second <laughs> one is coach value, coach value. The whole concept today around expertise versus experience is also fucked up, mm-hmm. right? So a fitness coach could be a weekend seminar, and I'm a fitness coach, right? So you could ask the question around, well, who who owns value, based upon that. So the whole concept of it is messed up. Third is the whole thing you just asked there. There's a lack of systemic support, meaning like a coach gets educated. There's no systems out there to support them. There's no systems out there. There's no institutions. There's no respect from a medical setting. There's no respect in society. 
there's no, you know, there's no systems to support it. And the way you can ask that question is, well, you know, where else is there in society for systems of support for people to live a large, good life, right? Uh, your pastor, maybe a church, right, setting, uh, maybe in your work environment, maybe in a school. And then now, of course, that list as we're aging is getting less and less. It's fucked up, I know, but it's getting less and less. But a fitness coach used to be that position, right? They used to have lots of systems of support, right? Your, your pastor would say, you need to get yourself more fit. I don't even know who I was just pulling in there as, the, as I was trying to uh, think about as a pastor. But you get my point is like there's no, there's no place for them to go and do their shit, which is why I did OPEX gyms because I saw all these coaches graduating out being like, I can't fucking do any of this. The market doesn't want to learn any of this, of this long game approach, right? All they want to do is get shit done in two months, right? So that, and lastly, uh, uh, automation and autonomy. There's no concept or definition of autonomy, like our definition of that. Like, why are we doing this thing? Are we just doing this like dance for a couple of years and then say, let's find someone else? Or are we actually embedding things in people so that they don't have to come back and talk to us about what bending is? and how many times they should deadlift when they're 47, right? Like, don't ask me that. You need to learn that shit so it's yours and it's your, you're, you're an agent of that. So those are the big ones. Fitness intentions are messed up. Coach value is really questioned. Lack of systemic support and automation and autonomy. Automation, of course, as you can see, the micro gyms are being bought by tech companies, right? That's where it's going. Um, or the, the fitness movement is being bought by tech because it's hijacking in biometrics because they just see transactions, right? Eventually, what you're going to see is just group fitness with no one up in front, right? And if, you, if everyone, like, you know, doesn't look at that and see that as a reality, you're sorely missing out. And so you need to lean up against whatever helps that. You know what, what, what doesn't help that is uh, this dogmatic education of a booklet. You know, just stand up and say this and don't ask some hard questions. It, it, so those are the biggest fitness intentions. I'll go back. Fitness intentions. Um, is that, whew, uh, we are still, we have to recognize whenever you want to ask that question, you got to recognize your own biases of fitness, right? So meaning you have to ask yourself first the question, why was I ever doing deadlifting? Or why was I ever participating in physical challenges? And when was there a time where I just did it, but I didn't even know why I was doing it? Because that, that's the precipice of where you built your own perspective on what intentions are. Clearly, if it's not clear to all of us on this call and to the, everyone in the fitness zeitgeist, it's an architect, it's, it's, it's been created for multiple other reasons. Meaning the whole fitness movement is really to be reduced for brevity's sake, is a fix for a broken lifestyle. So fitness is a thing that most people do because their intentions inside of it are that it will fix something. Decrease pain, increase energy, uh, look good naked, reproduce, survive, etc. The question remains, who's the, who's the, how do you divide, decide upon a moral um, barometer or measurement as to what is right inside those intentions, right? So we all have the opportunity to lift things and fucking do shit and physically express ourselves, right? And we all know all the benefits of that to sport, accompanying, resilience, whatever, right? But imagine if uh, like 7.7 .7 billion people thought that the reason, and you can imagine generations now think that fitness is done for that reason, you can see how hard it is for that coach to tell that person, 
you just need to move and challenge yourself in movement because you can and because it's for you. That's it. No other reason. It's to be consistent, to enjoy play, to enjoy physical expression, and to enjoy that we are physical and we can do those things, right? And anytime into the conversation someone starts to say, yeah, but is it going to, yeah, but is it going to, it, it negates all of our intentions behind it. So that's what I mean that the coach comes out. I get them like aware of the fact of what this idea is of fitness intentions, right? And why we actually do it, right? And then they have to massage wherever a person sits on that continuum of awareness. That makes sense, right? Yeah. So someone's yeah. like, and this is the ironic thing. Let's call it the scale order them, right? People who are higher order scoring seven out of 10 on that awareness are not showing up. <laughs> They're not in front of us. Right, they're fucking. They're just waking up and doing push-ups and walking and like chewing vegetables. They don't need to come and see us, right? But the one to six, or even the minus five to zero, the one to six, right? They need some guidance, right? But this is what they need when they show up. They need to have someone punch them in the throat with the truth, right? Like you, you've been a slob, dude, right? You've been a slob. Are we okay with that? You're okay with that? Okay. Now what do we do, right? You think you're gonna get that? Yeah. You can't do a pull-up. You can't do a pull-up. So now what are you going to do? Right? Oh, that's what you think behaviors are around nutrition change? Yeah, who told you that? Where did that come from? So you got to ask all these questions to rehab them, right? Rehab them, get them to the point where they recognize, wow, I'm not doing this for all that shit, right? To lose fat and to get a mate, right? That's incorrect intentions, right? I want to do it just because I can express myself and it's just a part of daily practice. That's that's fitness intention. So what would what would a, an analogy or an analog to that be outside of fitness where maybe the 7.7 billion people have the correct intention? Is that a does that question make sense to you, James? Uh, well, I'm just making the point that they don't have the correct right. intention. Well, it, yeah, yeah I mean, but like what, it really what just people... come down to freedom. I mean, like I was thinking, like, like as you're talking, I'm like, okay, like the freedom. It to enters be, in. Yeah, like the freedom it to be able in. to do what you want. Like, how many yeah. people don't do things because, like, um, one of my favorites was uh, we used to always go uh, Rafael Ruiz, and I used to when I lived down in Tampa, we would always go to uh, Disney in like the middle of July when it was like 100 plus degrees, humidity, the whole deal. Because Rafa really loved to see out of shape tourists on like they're like look like they were gonna die. Roth's like, let's go watch fat people from the Midwest almost die in Florida. And uh, I used to like, okay, let's go. And we would go and dude, like people were absolutely like blood, like bloodbath, like people laying down, having anyone, cause they're, they're coming from a place that's not like Florida and they're showing up for spring, you know, summer break. And, uh, and I just remember joking, he's like, isn't it nice to be fit enough to where this isn't really a big deal? Look at these people. And it was just kind of an interesting, he's a, Roth's a twisted dude in that respect. But I remember thinking like, I never want to be a prisoner in my own body or prisoner because I can't do anything. I, I don't want to avoid tasks because, uh, you know, I'm not physically able, like I, you know, I'm not strong enough to pick that up. I'm not strong enough or in fit enough to be able to do this. I just kind of looked at it like just, it allows me freedom. It allows me mobility. It, it uh, allows me to do the things that other people can't. And what, go, you got it or what can an example that's, that's deep, bro. Yeah. No, you know, meaning, it, meaning like that can go down a serious, yeah, really good uh, place for, um, you know, how that, my brain immediately goes to the connections, right, of, of the behaviors that is embedded in that person's freedom to do what they want um, and how it impedes 
you know, how it impedes in a collective over time. So it's very easy. That's not your point that you're making, John, but it's very easy to say that, that people can choose to do which, which they want with that body or the physical expression, um, except when that creates a slight amount of power over time that impedes the freedoms of others. I'll give you an example of those, those collective individuals believe you can do what you want. You don't need to do fitness. And those people are now in position of power to educate others mm. on a belief or a topic of something. You see now where it starts to get weird. And I can give you five other examples where school systems for 30 years now have been led by people who don't believe in physical expression. Sure. So are, are, do, you think that's, do you think that's important? And if your answer then is still like, well, send your kid to private school. Well, now I got some argument to it, right? Because the, how, we, how we embed this whole freedom concept inside of it does get really icky uh, with well, regards but, to how it affects long-term like collective for- collective perspective we haven't even talked about health insurance or health oh. perspectives or the food game etc like i mean i don't have the technical capabilities to go there but i'm sensing that's going to get become itchy in the freedom conversation well i, I uh, one of the trucks that i'm working on i dropped one of the axles off at a guy to rebuild the axle uh put new gears in it i went to go pick it up and the guy's like oh it's done i'm like okay he's like well let me go get some guys we'll help uh we'll load it in your truck and i was like no big deal so i went and picked up put it in my truck this <laughs> fucking dude's head exploded because the thing's probably 350 pounds i just picked it up put it in the back of the truck and the dude was like I was going to get through it. Like, he couldn't fathom the fact, like, I can't believe you just picked that fucking thing up. I'm like, it's the reason I lift weights every day, so that I'm never at a disability. Like, if I got to change a car tire or just these things, I, I like the, the feeling of feeling not only fit, but also being strong enough to do shit that you can't do. And, like, that was, you know, in a nutshell of why I lift weights and why I've always wanted to lift weights. I don't like to ever feel like I'm not able to do something. And, I, and it's an interesting thing when we start talking about, like, uh, you know, fitness in terms of, like, being useful. Like, can you accomplish useful tasks? Are you a useful person? Can you do these things? Can you carry in all your groceries in one hand? You know, that type of stuff. And I think- Remember we went down this road last time on the zombie experiment, right? right. There's no real reason to do it. You know what I'm saying? So the argument to your point of the axle is that we are a cognitively heavy driven society now, right? So up until the 80s, there was at least some manufacturing of resemblance as to why you kept doing hard work, right? But then past point in time, it's like, we could just got to sit at a cubicle, right? I mean, what actual hard shit do I actually need to do to get through this day, right? And to your point, an axle, yeah, maybe one out of, you know, you'd be the warrior, right, in our tribe. But there's no, I mean, we'd send you out against the zombies and everyone else would run trying to create AI programs to decode their brains, right, from radio waves. So this whole fitness intention thing, I would agree with you. How is it used and what's it used for? Again, that's why I say it's folly right we have to be okay with the fact that it's folly and it's a diversion tactic but we have to be okay with that meaning like this this bench press practice is not gonna allow me to lead a more fulfilling life right but that's not the reason why you should be asking that question it should be that you're capable of doing it well you're capable of doing it and that's why you should be doing it because you can physically express yourself when we start attaching intentions to it beyond just doing it because we can it gets really fucked up and that's why it's left us with like biohacking dave asprey you yeah. know ment- mentality well like, he, just get on a vibration plate and eat less food and you'll live long and prosper well dude, uh, what kind of humans do you want around you want eight billion humans like that around well sitting it, down all day drinking high fat coffee on a vibration plate <laughs> how is that helping 
I don't know. I, I don't know how it's helping, but it's kind of an interesting observation that people need a reason to do something like if X, you know, or if A plus B equals C kind of a deal where it's like, well, I'm not, you know, I don't do anything that involves looking like a bench press. So why would I need to do a bench press instead of a computer all day? And uh, I, I kind of look at it from the other side and being like, well, you don't do anything that looks like a bench press. So probably you should be doing a bench press. Yes, you know? that's yep. That's exactly where you should place the argument. But that's uh, that's back to our point of the question that was asked. This is what coaches have to deal with. Right. And you can't go out there and just like not ask these questions or think about it. You have to get out into the market and ask questions like, why, why are you doing fitness? You know, and if you're only at NSCA BKIN level, then you're like, OK, that kind of makes sense. VO2 max, you know, bone mineral density, whatever. What I'm saying is those are still not good intentions. That's still not the right intentions. It's going to end up in being they're doing it for some other level, hypertrophy, looking good naked, whatever. Right. And that's just not going to lead to utility long term. James, what are some questions that you empower the coaches with to to dig and ask to f- help people find their why? Yeah, the uh, we have a list of seven, and those are largely wrapped around a person creating self-evident awareness of what lights them up, what inspires them. Um, and those are really low-level questions, right, because they have to be generalized for the coach to ask. So it asks them about uh, personal space, and the personal space question is asked around, have you even investigated what's around your periphery, uh, what lights you up in conversation, and when you're out in social settings, what do you really like to dig in and talk about? Uh, what kind of goals have you set coming up that show or uh, have signs of coming true? And th- those questions that are leading into learning something about the person, but also the person reflecting as they answer those questions like, wow, you know, my children are really important to me, right? They notice that during the conversation, the coach reflects back. I noticed when you answered that, that, you know, you being protective of your children in that situation, a story you gave me, um, you setting up your job to help support that for the family, would you, would you say that that's fairly important priority for you? And they're like, yeah, I never thought about that, but it's a really high priority for me. Then I go, well, this is how fitness is going to work to help support your highest priorities, right? This is what you're going to do. And then you can drum up the question of what that's going to look like. In my mind, that's pretty fucking easy, right? In my mind, it's pretty fucking easy. There's patterns, there's work, et cetera. Just put it in place based upon what your capability is. But that's how we get to that. And so... I could see how that would create a friction point for someone who came into this business as an enthusiast who just enjoys kind of the burn and the process of, you know, I opened a gym because I like to work out. And then it's now become their job. And, you know, because their intentions uh, were misguided in, in the framework here. Yep. That's what I'm saying. There's systemics. That's why. Well, that's why I created CCP and created a system, right? Because I knew all that shit was going to happen. Right. So I, I, that, act, that actual stuff doesn't that only occurs in the current broken system, which is like, woohoo, come over here. Oh, yeah, we can do that. Get on in there and I'll yeah. just take transactions per month. Right. But that's not what we do. So we go like this and say, no, our first meeting is 90 minutes of a conversation, not a beatdown, not a fat test. It's a meeting. Right. We get to chat and talk about all this shit that you're going to lay on the table. So most of that stuff. Uh, the person, the coach has now got, you know, downloaded information, hopefully from CCP, where they can navigate the, what you're calling friction. We call it an opportunity for education. So that person says, I think this, and the coach goes, this is what I heard you say on what your beliefs are 
on like getting the adrenaline knocked down, you know, burning it hard, you know, fantastic fitness, et cetera. Can I offer you a similar kind of solution, but let's go back and talk about why you're doing that. And then you can see the conversation starts, right? And so by the end of it, sure as shit, they may, they may not want to work with you, which is all fine. It may not be the right time, but we will definitely continue this conversation on fitness intentions so that they recognize this is not a morning adrenaline hit. This is not an addictive pleasure seeking, you know, hedonistic program we're going to be a part of. That's not what it is. You know what this is, this is this. So, um, and then you can back up and say, well, you know, um, how is that possibly going to work? Well, you got to remember, that's why I set up the CCP in the gyms. I don't want coaches being surrounded by people who come in asking those questions. You know what I'm saying? So when I talk about the periphery, that's the reality. Like that's happening in F45 and Orange Theory. You know, that's the concept. Um, if there is any consultations, I, I'm only using those as examples of a micro gym intense model. But How often would you encourage coaches to, to check back in or is it start to be natural once the individual feels that they're invested in? Yeah, well, we have, a, we have a system that we would say through measurement is actually improved in client compliance over time. So I will say that my system works really well for your question. Um, the initial consult has to be a big one. And then they meet with them once a month for another big consult. Now, inside of that, meaning like it's a, it's a reinvestigation of goals. It's a rechecking on stuff. It's like, what was the real reason why we started this in the first place, et cetera, et cetera. In between those first and second and third and fourth and ongoing big consults per month, there is a daily check-in on TrueCoach which is a technology-based platform that helps this compliance and concept of exercise, as well as there's communication on the floor. So this is the point in, you know, where, where the system does and doesn't support that, where online systems don't support this. This is the third pillar that creates an attachment to the intentions of the fitness program. Remember, the coach gets to see Nancy three times a week in the gym, right? So that's an opportunity for a check-in. Right. He gets to see if he or she gets to see if Nancy's like, eh, she's acting a little different today or the approach to her training was a little different today or she seems to have more questions today or it's not the same kind of, you know, what I'm saying these are all opportunities. So three levels, big consult, true coach, daily check ins and then on the floor in person checks. So a coach, it doesn't have to look exactly like that text, but I was just giving you an example as to what it would look like for yeah. someone to, to offer the best relationship long term. And then over time, you can imagine, right? If I was to sit down with you um, after three years, what is that monthly consult? We're probably talking about our kids, right? We're talking about like big picture stuff, maybe spirituality, maybe the current politics time, right? We're still doing a check-in on why you're doing what you're doing, but that's probably where the conversation is leading. And I would hope, I would hope that over time we don't have that meeting because that means that's the truest definition of success. Yeah, where our relationship has turned into you just being someone who wants to invest in the gym or you're just a friend, right? But you're on your own. You don't need, you don't need me to, to converse with, to tell you about like how to lift weights and how to chew broccoli. I mean, that's over time. I want that embedded in your habits. When did, when did this methodology and process, like when did you realize you were doing this or how, it's you, always been in place. It, but And you always knew it, in, or in hindsight, you had to reflect and understand the pillars that you had created so that you could systematize it and then communicate it to others where they didn't have to go through all the like hardship that you did to create yeah. it, right? Yeah, yes. Uh, but uh, but it, 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 
individual design has been in place forever, right? I mean, there's, you know, use Charles Pollock and rest in peace as a person who, you know, people don't recognize as strongly because of his demeanor, uh, but of strength of personal design, right? If you go back to the, just the math and the numbers, um, he was, I would call somewhat of a magician in terms of actual program design. It's just that it gets enveloped with emotion and dickheadedness and everyone lets the gets to lose, you know, the, the power of it. But that individualized concept was around for a long period of time, right? It's just that I looked at it and then at the same time, I was like playing and experimenting with this mass new version of fitness in the early yachts, right? And I could always go back and forth, right? Give you an example to make it real. Go to CrossFit Calgary, teach a class in the morning, right? Get that and then go home and see OPT and get this stark difference, right? In culture and feeling and intentions and et cetera. And so when you get punched in the face with that every day for hours, it just like, you know, it arises these thoughts. So I'm grateful for those experiences and the intense piece because I can speak to it, right? To say what would be most effective in, in terms of intention for individual design. Yeah, and if you were only in that CrossFit Calgary environment, you have no parity to compare, like to look at and show you the show you the light, so to speak, right? No, yeah. And I guess and again, the light light has to be defined, right? Because this where people get itchy there, right? They're like, yeah, but the, the, the that thing is successful. It's like, well, what's your definition of success, man? Mm -hmm. You know, churning clients for ten years—that's not successful. Right. So you got to define success, churning coaches for 10 years. It's not successful. One owner, you know, after all that churning coaches and clients, that's not successful. So again, um, I don't, I don't, I'd be careful of saying what's right and what's wrong. Right. It's just, you got to define success when you want to say what's right. And, and that seems to be in and of itself, getting into the gym business, some of these more traditional, like, develop your values, develop your version of success, stress test it, check in, almost have like, you know, who's coaching the coach. There, there's not a lot of that well, at the in whole, our experience, I should say. At the whole yeah. coaching industry, even at the, the college level, and I imagine at the professional level, if you don't have or asking those hard questions personally, burnout is real, yep. whether it's the micro gym or at the, the college levels. Yeah. Well, and I think yeah. that uh, the athlete gets that goes short back to coach value. Yeah, yeah, but doesn't the athlete get yeah. shortchanged too? Like that's something I, I constantly yes. think about. Uh, oh no doubt. Like I felt like uh, when I owned a CrossFit gym, a little piece of me died every single day because I knew what people needed, but they weren't willing to do the things that they needed to get better because they just wanted to come in and get a beatdown every day. And I'm like, well, you basically have a modified this thing to where it's unrecognizable because of all the injuries and all the other problems that you have. What if we did this? And uh, people were just not open to it. And I remember thinking, like, it's time for me to go. <laughs> and uh, I realized I always wanted to own a gym, but I didn't realize when I said that, I just wanted to have a place where my equipment was that nobody showed up to fuck it up. That's what I always wanted. And I kind of mistakenly kind of carroted that with, uh, I'm gonna, I want to own a gym. Oh, well, I guess you got to have a, if you own a gym, you got to have members. And now I realize it's just better to own a gym where you have all your stuff. Like, AKA yeah. Well, let's your home let's, gym. let's reminisce. Let's reminisce for a second about uh, I think some positive intentions of why we first got involved. It I think uh, like if I was to hopefully when I get to chat with Eric, um, I think uh, this is a thought that I had. If you really wanted to change the landscape, also based on your point, text of like uh, associations of people talking and you know having coaches support, um, I would rewrite the journals. 
rewrite the CrossFit journals because there's something that happened with those writing of the journals. And you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, if you didn't feel the same way, but there were some prophetic statements and concepts inside of there that were really good, right? Uh, one of them was the garage gym. The definition mm -hmm. of fitness can certainly change, but sure. the garage gym concept is in essence the same thing that I'm talking about for yeah. autonomy, right? It's autonomy, right? And the words that were inside were, were this, mix all this shit together, do these things and do it on your own in your own garage and no one gives a shit what your scores are. That's basically what it said, right? Yeah. And I appreciated that. And what do I have here? Right? What do I have here? I got my own gym that I just go out there and do it with every day. So I'm even a reflection of that initial intention. To your point, John, that I think that was lost, right? And if you can imagine when something happened where they were like, oh, we can turn this into that garage gym to a group setting, it just went, it just turned into a shit show where you couldn't actually make affiliates move beyond that garage gym concept, which had such beauty in it. Well, I mean, wasn't the... Uh... It was simple. I mean, um, you know, like people didn't necessarily show up for classes. They showed up because you were training. I remember when I opened my uh, first time, put weights in the downstairs of my loft, people would show up. They knew we were going to train somewhere between 10 and 12. They would show up and we would work out and, you know, maybe they did something, maybe they didn't. We all did something and um, it was actually really nice and I enjoyed it. My brothers and I got to go hang out. My kids uh, or my brother's kids would sit in, you know, little baby seats and watch and it, there was something really nice about community. And, um, yeah. Now, now you, if you, if you do, you just, that's why I said rewrite the journals. You do need to rewrite the methodology and the principles, right? So it's, I, I still agree with the concept of like just being there and working out with your buds and just having that autonomy long term, but there has to be some principles embedded inside of there, you know? So just if someone wants to work out on their own, they can't just follow.com and scale it, no. right? So if someone just started out, what do they need to do? Just in our language, motor control and easy aerobic work right okay. what's the motor control mean just do these patterns these are the challenges try to get really good at the movements and then over time you're going to be able to make them more challenging i know that's very reductionist but that's how they need to learn right sure it's not like mix all this shit do this intensely just drop load and everything will be okay it's like no 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 that's not the case right so if there are some principles embedded in there on the concepts of pacing personalization maximal physical potential i think you still have a beautiful opportunity you know, to, uh, to change the landscape back to that autonomy of the garage gym. Yeah, no, Just I, to reminisce on the beauty of the garage gym. <laughs> no, and, uh, you know, even the original, um, you know, uh, fitness in a hundred words. I mean, it's, it, it was, there, there was a lot of simplicity and a lot of stuff that made sense. The problem yep. is, is when all the dogmas are getting layered on and you're like, how about we just, uh, you know, a bunch of people get together, lift some weights, you know, maybe they want to get a little sweaty, do some conditioning. Everybody's trying to eat, you know, pretty basic. I mean, even, uh, like, I know it's kind of a seemed like more of a punch word or more of a joke now with the paleo diet, but like that was kind of how we always ate. And I'll tell yep. you this, if like you could select any diet, whatever it looks like, I'm 99% of my life's going to eat some form of a paleo diet. It's just tends to what we eat, what we kind of like. And by before or by far what I think some of the best performance came out of. And um, if you, I think if you'd lifted some weights, you could do a little bit of conditioning and basically ate steaks and something that looked like a paleo diet, you're usually pretty far along. It's not overly complicated. No, it's not. But to put it into practice, to individualize people with no intentions of what fitness are, that's a little more challenging. But this is where the coach comes in. Back to our point on education, right? If the coach gets that embedded in their head and they understand principles and they become a clear thinker and an open-minded person, which is ironically why we got into it in the early aughts, um, that I think it, it, could, uh, it could make an impact.
You know, when I hear music like this, I can't help but think about every cheesy 80s action movie ever. There's just something so great about how clearly fake every fight scene and workout montage is. And what's funny is the approach of creating sexy cut-ups of bullshit workouts with highly questionable application actually exists outside 80s movies and is more prevalent than ever. Well, like terrible 80s movies, there's so much training garbage out there to sort through these days. And while entertaining, it's scary to think that some people are actually falling for it. Think of the pyrotechnics in Commando or the over-the-top use of body oil in the movie Over the Top. Is it possible that they're trying to distract us from the completely unrealistic plotline? Kind of like a sexy-looking program with virtually no performance transfer? This is exactly why Power Athlete has been battling the bullshit for over a decade. The research, testing, and retesting that the coaches at Power Athlete HQ have done to create athletic training programs like Field Strong and Bedrock is unparalleled. We chose to further refine our templates to create Grindstone, Jack Street, Lean Enable, and Hammer because we know that specific goals require specific stimuli. Okay, here's where the shameless plug comes in. A lot of work goes into developing the absolute best program and user experience possible. Just ask our partners at Train Heroic, who have been with us every step of the way and are equally dedicated to empowering your performance as we are. They are relentless when it comes to ensuring that your journey to self-improvement is propelled by the absolute best technology. When you join a Power Athlete program on Train Heroic, the first thing you should do is take a giant sigh of relief. Seriously, because now you're in the hands of founder and 10-year NFL veteran John Wellborn and his team of world-class coaches. And for less than a dollar a day, you've just become part of a community of like-minded folks who all want the same thing, performance. And if this whole 80s movie metaphor thing makes no sense to you because you were born after 1990, simply substitute Star Wars episodes 1 through 3. Who has the time or the patience for an all-show, no-go imposter program? Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to empower your performance today. Now back to the show. I want to change subjects and hoping to catch up on your goal of functional fitness as an Olympic sport. We originally planned this recording in line with the the Olympic Games, but some things over the past few months have changed that. So what has been the, the progress with that goal? Has it changed with the Olympics getting pushed back a year? Sub question, has it changed with the current state of fitness or functional fitness oversight? Yeah, uh, no and yes. Um, but to be more lengthy, we're on the periphery and don't really matter that much to the to the IOC or, you know, we do have uh, GASF, which is G-A-I-S-F. It sounds like to pronounce it GASF, but it's GASF uh, recognition, uh, which means that we are recognized as sport governance, governance which is a really big step in moving up to, uh, let's call it global sport governance and being recognized as a sport. So we are out there. Um, um, as if people don't know, um, there's a lot of red tape and politics and a lot of shit to climb that, um, which we look forward to. We're currently at a point where there's other groups that look at our growth, which has been really good um, and are kind of threatened by that. I can't specifically name names of who those groups are, but those groups are kind of scared that uh, we may possibly get higher order ranking because of the popularity of fitness competition or fitness in general. Um, 
And so that's one of our biggest issues we have to contend with right now. Um, but uh, the, the current games has no reflection on what we do. The second one, yes, because uh, we essentially are trying to build and govern a sport to create a, a career and a lifestyle for coaches and athletes, right? Um, a lot of people, and I need to say this clearly again, everyone gets so tripped up about their own biases around what the Olympic movement means, and they immediately think of old white guys and money in Switzerland. Um, and I really don't give a shit about that. That probably will lessen my, if anyone's listening in on that group, but I really don't give a shit about that. I really do feel positively personally around the Olympic ideal as a young kid growing up in Canada and seeing our Canadian athletes put on their jacket and go out there and also train some Canadian Olympians in winter sports in Canada. I think differently in terms of my perception of the Olympic movement. Um, I see like sport globally. I see like physical expression on an amateur level being expressed very admirably. Um, so, uh, everyone just gets tripped up on thinking the Olympics ideal is like just a bunch of politics and money and bullshit. But we are actually doing that for second level stuff, which is to just create governance, right? Governance of the sport, right? Which means like there's concepts on ruling, there's ethics. It's a democratic society based upon what are the decision-making processes, right? It's non-profit, right? So it's done for sport organization and sport participation, right? So you can have impeding interests, the commercialization, all the other shit that's going to happen anyways in sport. But we, we kind of are doing it for the ideal of creating this top of the thing structure. So this current upset, we'll call it, within the landscape of fitness has certainly impacted us because, number one, we need to become more visible for athletes and coaches to be like, hey, we actually are doing this thing to build it. Um, it's just that we don't have money and we're all doing this in volunteer. So we don't have all the money and the resources in place to like immediately point and click and turn up all these events and, and operate this entire atmosphere. Um, so we're just basically talking to the athletes and organizers uh, right now to say like, listen, this is what our goals are. We got great intentions behind it. You got to see past the bullshit that you're recognizing within your own biases of, of the Olympic movement and recognize that we have all these countries which are freely educated Right. Meaning that, you know, the cost of education for this inside the sport, which doesn't exist, by the way, um, is going to be somewhat down to a level of free. It will grow the sport effectively on, on multiple different levels within those countries. So we have, I think, 40 plus recognized countries that are governed right now, um, which is the number that we needed to get recognized by the higher sport governing bodies to get at the table for IOC, et cetera. And we'll probably have 70 in the coming year or so. Uh, which is quite a strong, very fast acceleration of numbers for that governance. Um, and then there's a lot more inside of it. But uh, so, no, we're not affected by Tokyo. Yes, we're highly affected by the current happenings because we got to do a lot of this like, hey, we're really on your side to offer this opportunity for, um, you know, coach athlete career. And some of the issues that are proposed by being there, if it's not apparently obvious, um, everyone that's inside the system right now, including me that was inside the system, um, are, we all have broken behaviors of what a relationship is inside fitness competition, right? So uh, dissent, good guys, bad guys, uh, you know, crazy programming, you know, no, no real judgment, no ethics, you know, et cetera. We've been inside that bad relationship for 10 years. So the only way to think about changing or reconstructing that, my belief is, is that everyone get on board with the IF3 movement, take a large portion of the uh, 
entertainment uh, aspect outside of it in the other area and i think we'll grow over time do you envision more team or an individual yeah that's a that's a good question i think at the uh, ioc level um because you got to think about like how do we how do we step up to a plate and then people look at us and go that's really cool like that'd be good and i think people will like it um the team concept of male female working together is definitely a very higher order interest at the highest level of sport okay i'll just say that <laughs> but personally <laughs> i'm not a fan um and for multiple different reasons it's largely got to do with design what your definition is of, of fitness testing uh, education that just kind of misses a whole lot of things. Okay. Um, and I can, I could probably get over that over time, but it's not. So we do have that concept inside and is inside the IF3 concept for testing, but our large, let's call it beacon is individual competitions and individual disciplines of six tests, which are endurance, strength, volume, skill, uh, mixed and power. Almost like a decathlete where you're looking at different. Uh, yeah. Like so different my, ones. Yeah, my history, which I, I actually, I know, well, I know you guys are interested in that. We're always interested in that question, like, how do you put things together to determine, like, who's the fittest, right? And even if you do participate in that, it's always like a cool conversation, right? Um, and so I did a lot of historical checks on the growth of decathlon, to use your point, how they devise scoring, you know, the history of it, the definition of fitness, modern pentathlon conversation, et cetera. And it led me to create my own test, which I called the Uptathlon. So that was my own version like 12, 13 years ago, which the scoring was based upon just like a decathlon. It's the highest score in that event that dictates the scoring. So, and you can get a thousand points for the world level, right? Or if you don't get a thousand points and you come like one second behind someone else, you get scored in relation to the thousand points, like how a decathlon scored. So I implemented that in the Uptathlon years back I also used my own experience in what was called the toughest Calgary and alive, which almost mimicked the firefighting challenge. So we had a 5k run in the morning, 100 meter water sprint, 80 meter sprint, uh, legless rope climb pull up for time, max pull ups, max bench press, and then an obstacle course at the end of the day. And I always looked at these things to be like, you know, who's the fittest who participates in all these things, right? And then with my participation in CrossFit and coming up with the designs, uh, we basically have tried to create these six characteristics, not because I believe it would be like the biggest definition of who's the most fittest at the end, but it makes coaches and athletes go back to the training and say, how do I get good at all those things to get to compete in these events? Because the current lineup for fitness testing is seven just pieces of madness. So then you say, well, how do I train for that? You just train madness. That's the actual training, right? So you can't, you can't wrap your hands around, how do I actually get better at that? And everyone's trying to, right? Throwing in physiology and fancy terms and using NIRS and et cetera. It's like, oh, this is what separates everyone. It's basically madness. It's weeding people out, right? Who can suffer the most? Yeah, I was going to say, it's, yeah, it's the person suffer, that can suffer. You're out. So yeah. you know what I'm saying is like, I wanted to at least have an opportunity for, for an athlete to have a career for 10 years. Like no one has even thought about that. Right. So why can't someone who's 20 actually do this thing for 10 years? Because if you actually look at the data right now, no one can stay in the sport for three or four years. All you see on Instagram is the people that were the most resilient. Right. But there's tens of thousands of people that are burnt from this sport. Right. Because there was not this linear program 
of how to get good for the specific event. Because guess what showed up? A 67 and a half pound dumbbell. It's like, what the fuck? I never, I never even knew that was going to come, right? Or but again, my point is like, <laughs> if we knew what was in place, right? If you knew what was in place in characteristics, at least the coach and athlete could go, okay, I guess I could train for that. So that's what those specific tests will do, John, on your back end. Yeah, the decathlon is deeply embedded inside of that. I love it because of the concept, not because of who's more fit, but the concept of like, do these characteristics and let's just see how you do. Well, it's always been, I mean, forever. I mean, usually the guy that wins the uh, decathlete is considered, you know, the world's greatest athlete. I mean, remember Dan versus Dave, uh, you know, that was, at least when I was growing up, that was a huge deal. And then uh, I see Dan frequently in Scottsdale. He comes to my yeah, gym. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He and Inkledon were buddies. Um, but uh, yeah. And I, I remember when, you know, when I first met cross or when I first met Glassman in the CrossFit deal and they talked about, you know, the fittest person, I'm like, well, yeah, he competes at the Olympics every year or uh, every four years for the decathlete. And when I said that, it was like, like, you know, he, Glassman almost had a conniption. No, no, no. You know, he couldn't do any of the stuff. I'm like, dude, are you? <laughs> Like, I don't know what you guys are working with, but, like, you're talking about, like, the world's greatest, you know, genetic pool and talent and training and this. I mean, to be able to do that. I mean, just, just being able to pole vault, uh, that that alone basically separates, like... Yeah, just oh, yeah. try to cross your river, John. I'd like to see you with a nice pole trying to cross <laughs> yeah. your river. I, I mean, but think about that. Like, uh, uh, by far the most physically... Uh, mentally, emotionally demanding sport ever, the fucking pole vault. I want you to sprint as fast as you can, put this like 18 to 20 foot fiberglass rod in the ground, running full speed, and then hold on as you shoot yourself over. That alone to me is like, like that's have the you ever, have you, li- you should listen to, or I'll, I'll cue this for, you can put it in your notes. Listen to Dan Paff talk about that for like 90 minutes of the technical skills and what goes on physiologically during that. It's, mm. it's like a beautiful rendition yeah. of how challenging that is to listen to him speak about that. And he even spends like 20 minutes on the running aspect, right? People are like, Oh, it's just putting the pole in. It's like, no, no, yeah. no, no, it's time timing, steps. speed, yeah. delivery. Like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's beautiful to listen to, but after listening to him, I was like, yeah, I won't be training any pole <laughs> vaulters anytime soon based upon that, you know? Yeah. No one, uh, uh, and, whenever people are like, oh, like, uh, if you could, you know, like, what sports do you want your daughters to play? I'm like, I want them to pole vault. If they can pole vault, they can pretty much fucking do anything we need them to do, you know, just because of the skill set associated. But you think about they got to run hurdles, they got to sprint. And then when you look at the numbers that the that the guys that are, you know, the Olympic, the highest level in terms of the uh, decathlete are pulling out, they're fairly competitive with all the other individuals. So. Yeah, so you could, you could I, I think, what even if everyone wants to take that argument and, like, move it into a 2.0 argument, is the uh, mixed martial arts, jujitsu, um, roughhousing conversation on fitness. Because if you ever want, you know, you notice that Greg or anyone doesn't necessarily say that, right? They're not like, oh, that's the fittest person, right? Because if you actually went into fighting against another human, I think it's the most you know, the highest order version of physical expression of fitness, right? Survival is included inside of that, right? When you do thrusters and pull-ups, those are not going to kill you, right? But but being, you know, knocked out or choked, I would even argue that that's higher order in terms of like fitness. So when everyone's like, yeah, but they're not the fittest because so someone says, oh, the CrossFitters are the fittest and just look at the decathlon at your argument. If you were to pile on with yeah. uh, pugilism, uh, you'd win every time because you can ironic. What would also be a strength for the argument is that we've seen now for 10 years, everyone who tries to participate in madness fitness actually becomes a worse fighter 
Yeah. So there's reality in terms of what fitness is. Oh, yeah. No, B BJ Penn uh, threatened to beat Glassman's ass. Uh, he trained him and was fucking, you know, oh. ended up getting killed and, and uh, didn't do very well associated with it. I mean, those guys were, were uh, pretty down on it. Uh, no, it's a good point. So what you're saying is at the next CrossFit Games, as soon as we figure out yes. who the top five is, we just put him into a fucking... Royal Rumble. Like the, like the Joker. Break the pool cue. Oh. <laughs> Walk away. What's, what's his line? We got massive expansion. Yeah, we're you think Froning can take a punch? Taking on aggressive expansion. Think Froning can take a punch? I don't know. It's pretty good. That's a great question. Well, not from, I mean, no, not from I you, so. I don't think. <laughs> uh, I think so. It, 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 Tyson's stuff rings true, uh, or his comment based upon that. Everyone's, everyone's tough to take a hit. Yeah. Uh, right. I would Everybody's got a game plan until they get punched I'd take in the, the other camp. I had uh, great wingers uh, who took care of me when I was in the era of hockey. That uh, you had a you had a great winger who could score and take care of you if you ever got into trouble. Um, I stopped bad mouthing when I was like 14, 15 years of age, um, and then uh, went like I think 20 seconds with my professor David Bain, who was a football player and former boxer, because I told him I wanted to learn a little bit of boxing, uh, and he hit me three times in a period of two seconds, and I actually stopped. So. Uh, I think there are some people that are just embedded to take those hits, and I'm not one of them. <laughs> no, it's. Uh, I, I remember the guy I used to box with uh, in college. Um, it was just uh, the hands of a skilled boxer, not even a professional, but just even a guy that's a semi, you know, semi-professional boxer. Like, fucking fuck you up. Like, throw some hands and hit you with some things. Like, you know, hitting you with overhand rights that you shouldn't be able to do. And man, that was a yeah. Yeah. definitely one of the most fun things. That's a good eye opener. Yeah. And so then, I just, I said this last time, I would just run away. I'm just trying to pick up my speed so I can just run away from people. So <laughs> I don't get the, well, and, and then your fitness, my stamina. Also, the, the fitness also goes out the, out, the, uh, out the window pretty fast when you get like a nasty body shot and all of a sudden you can't catch your breath. And next thing you know, yeah. you're like taking a little huffy breath and your heart starts racing and you're like, yeah, oh. I, I like where you're going there. Uh, the other thing that I think about is the kinds of contractions. Of course, I become a physiologist on it, but the, uh, the kinds of contractions to perform the tasks are really challenging that are not seen within fitness, right? Like grasping for a minute or uh, breath holding or decompression of the chest or isometrics like those are really weird shit that you don't have inside of fitness that i find uh, really extremely challenging hmm. i'll just do i'll just do the body build the hypertrophy motor oh. control and volume volume and motor control yeah. <laughs> i thought you were volunteering to be the guy that punches everybody in the stomach before oh i could do that three two one go yeah you could do that because you, you need one hand you hold your beer and the other one just punch people yeah right? i want to be and you guy. have to have a certain 800 meter score before you decide to punch because if you can't run and outlast like jason Bourne for a couple minutes you're fucked yeah right <laughs> oh my god it's jason Bourne. uh james i gotta recommend a book for you it's called the code so it's about hockey and essentially the culture within hockey of how the sport regulates itself. So regulated, regulated itself. Yes. And the unwritten rules within that. And it talks about the history of and it names specific incidents, people. It's it's awesome and worth a good read if you got some time. Yeah, I used to train two guys who were took that role. Um, uh, Darcy Hordachuk and uh, Garrett Exelby, uh, uh, Garnet Exelby, sorry. Um, they've had a stint in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s when that role was still a part of the sport. So I would love that. I also have a, um, a close friend up here who uh, did the documentary called Ice Guardians, uh, Kelly Chase, who I'd ask you to dig into that, um, where it's more of a sad story on a number of the guys that were took on these roles within the sport and uh, had this, like, which I know you guys would appreciate, 
uh, with, with this uh, stench of machismo and bravado that's in that room um, of this, like the uh, just holding the guard down and being admirable and holding the guard down and protecting your brothers and, uh, and going out there and making sure everyone is safe out there. And that, that that's, it, uh, it's smelled within the story and it gives a really nice picture of uh, these guys who really uh, were larger than life humans that were inside the sport for many years uh, but were kicked to the curb and forgotten about uh, pretty sadly so uh, thank you for that text I, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it. Mm. it appears for our listeners Ice Guardians is on Netflix oh. what? so what's uh, what does the future hold? I mean, uh, we're kind of in this, uh, you know, bit of a, well, I could say 2020 can't, and I'm going to say it as of today. I don't know. Hold my beer. Yeah. <laughs> it, I don't know if it can get weirder, but um, where do you foresee fitness going? And more importantly, do you see it kind of deviating from, because I mean, I think people use the fitness umbrella uh, to kind of talk about, you know, human performance and, you know, really what you're talking about it, uh, for your, you know, um, IF3 deal is a little bit more specialized in just the sport of fitness. So where do you see this thing going in, uh, you know, hopefully in 2021, if we could just end 2020 right now and get on to 2021. Yeah. Uh, well for the, for the fitness landscape, I think that there was a number of people, uh, throughout this period of time because of its elongation that really questioned intentions, which I think is a positive thing. Uh, so I think there's a lot of people that sat at home or were, um, espousing kind of concepts of physical expression that, they probably took some real hard looks now um, at like, you know, what's the reason behind they're doing it? Is this all really worth it? Uh, what's my deepest intentions? Uh, what, what am I going to do if I can't get my fix Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 6 a.m.? Um, so I think that was a positivity to it. Uh, the sad part is my predictions are that our behaviors have been embedded so long, it's not going to change a fucking thing in terms of people's intentions. Um, the issue that I do have second to that is I think that the powers of scale were really strong for automation and the lack of personalization. And I think that is edged really strongly inside right now during this time. And I think it's gonna make us a, a lot harder to push up against this uh, automated perspective of fitness and what it's gonna be like for the future. Um, so you saw you know, growth in companies like Peloton, which is a real shitty sign. Um, as good as it is maybe for that company, you saw growth in Zoom, right? You saw growth in, in inside of tech. There's going to be an unbelievable spot for education on the back end of this. But um, because tech leaned up against it, I think the coach is going to have even a much harder time now at the end of this for 2021 on saying, hey, long game. Hey, human relationships. Hey, in person, kisses and hugs. It's going to be a tough proposition. That's what I predict for fitness landscape. For the, I'm not sure where the IF3 thing got thrown in there, but for the future aspect of it, no real changes in perspective, as I mentioned earlier, uh, for competitive sport. I think we're going to have to wait a little while here to see what the current, you know, expression was of the sport and the companies that kind of held that to be, because um, they're really in a like a holy shit moment right now. Um, but we're just going to stay nice and steady and say this is what we're going to do: world championship every year, national governance, and then the future for two. For uh, 2028 in LA, do you think uh, um, do you think fitness is kind of uh, you know like the community aspect of fitness is a, is a huge driver? I mean, you talked about you know the Peloton going through the roof. I mean, they can't even keep those things in stock, and there people are you know riding from their living rooms, but they're virtually plugging into this 
you know, coach or the Zoom or whatever it looks like. And um, like you said, like there is no, I, I guess you could say there is no two-way transaction. It's just a one-way transaction. And then, you know, I, I guess their, uh, their numbers or their feedback is the second part of this, but nobody's really monitoring them or, or pushing them along like a coach would. So uh, now that we have this fitness resource where we can just do it from the, you know, easy your home and, you know, there isn't some place that you can go essentially to get coached and to try to improve. You think people will get lazy and that doesn't become an option? I can just ride my bike at home? Uh, well, I think the Peloton will turn into the treadmill of the 80s. It just turned into a place to lay your clothes. I'll be completely <laughs> honest with that. Um, and if I'm wrong, then that's okay. You know, people are participating on their bikes at home with this nice tech and on the 37th floor in a city. That's kind of cool. But uh, I don't really see that going anywhere for the for the you know larger audience. Um, again, I just see it being as a uh, as an unfortunate situation for a move against the human relationships, right? Like the stuff that you experience in person with people. Um, and one of the things, the reason why Peloton was so successful too, but you actually think about the physiology and the modality, it's fucking simple. Wheels go like this, you just watch a screen, right? But when you add more components to the fitness experience i.e. now you want to do a kettlebell, i.e. now you want to do a push-up, now you want to run around the block, now you want to learn how to do some powerful activities, now you want to jump, etc. You can't have online programs to each of those. You know what I'm saying? Like it now requires some education of the medium being a coach to help that person navigate all those specific movements. So I don't, I, I see these isolated things like that, getting, you know, getting speed, the mirror, right? With uh with uh, body weight home gymnastics, right? Like Lululemon just put a huge amount of money into uh, the, uh, the technology of the mirror. Um, and if you could start seeing that, uh, that relationship building, you can see where it's going, right? Again, it's just attaching to commercialization inside of like the fitness experience. But again, what's removed is the coach, right? The coach is removed from that entire equation, right? So I know my biases, right? And I'm, I'm sure John, well, I don't know. Maybe you're trying to set me up for like, well, what are you going to do about it? Uh, I know my biases <laughs> on that. Uh, <laughs> not that you haven't done that before, but uh, actually, you know, I, uh, actually, I don't uh, paint people into corners. And um, yeah, as, right. As you're stating these things, I'm thinking to myself, man, I thank God we don't have to tackle this problem. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. well, uh, I just think that um, it's going to be it's going to be tough because these coaches come out and they have no group, large group to support them. The market doesn't support them. Their concepts are real. They believe in it, believe in the principles. But then they see the market participating in this you know, sexy version. I don't see that changing that much. Is there I mean, there's, do the coaches have to pivot? to keep up with it because i mean this yeah. the, the removal of personal interaction and automation i guess but pivot to what but culturally james this has been happening in all other industries right so it should pivot be to what uh i i don't know you know some sort yeah. of hybrid so this approach. is what happens you pivot mm -hmm. pivot to become an online coach and uh, then you die after a year yeah because it's just saturated you got to end up getting like 600 clients per month at nine bucks a month for a templated program you sit on a beach that's it right so and then guess what will happen after two years of that the tech gets even better mm -hmm. right just imagine when amazon starts to get inside the health equation like apple is deciding to do right mm -hmm. so we think our fancy like biometric home programs or something what happens if they just put out a free app that's like 49 cents that has like all the shit inside right mm -hmm. all the shit inside so now it's like you know, so the pivoting thing, uh, I'm not really up with it because we're pivoting towards more cognitive biases and less towards the physical expression bias. 
and um, I just can't see it. All right, so maybe pivot isn't the right term, but uh, adapt. Is there a way to accommodate the trend in such a way that you still maintain your value as yeah. as a coach, but yeah. you know you work within the new playing field? So no. uh, yeah, you don't think so? No. Well, I like the, I love the word adapt. Thanks for uh, changing that thought process. I like that. Um, but adaptation would be criticizing bad ideas. That's how you adapt. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't, you're not going to mold yourself to, because again, I would ask like, well, what, what do you end up doing? You end up becoming digital. You know what I'm saying? Like you just squeeze, 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 squeeze down where you're just a blog. And now you're a blog amongst a million other blogs. And now you have no value, right? Your value as a coach is you minus the internet. I think it's your, it's your identity and your value as a coach is your community, not community is not the right term. Uh, the people you are immediately serving, because I would even argue yes. that even if you have your, you maintain full compliance with your three pillars, there can be a million data points of that and you're saturating your value, but it's only the people you're influencing that are driving your value. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and no, I, I agree, but you didn't say anything in there on your Instagram likes or your Facebook exposure. Mm-hmm. Right? You're helping people in person, human relationships, touching, like being there, mm-hmm. right? Watching them during the day, right? You use my three pillars example. So I'm assuming you're talking about like actually seeing Nancy yeah, three yeah. times a week, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I agree. The, that's valuable. Could the, let's say it's because obviously the, the one pillar that's being threatened here is that in person is, yes. is there is there a minimum frequency? Is it individualized, I guess, to the person's level of autonomy, right? I guess the, the newer you are, the more frequent yep. you need to be yes, to be effective. Is. But as you go along your journey, the l- less frequency can still be effective, right? Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's how we try to align with the, what's inside mm-hmm. the coach's head in CCP, right? It's like, you know, this is what maximal physical potential is. This is what autonomy means. Let's find it where the person starts, right? Our, our language is your program design begins where your ability ends. And when coaches get behind that, they're like, I got it. I got it. What am I going to give them? Something just outside of their capabilities. That's what they're going to get. And that connects them to your point of like, well, what's your experience? I don't give a shit. Like I could give something for John, right? I could, right? I just got to figure out what he's capable of doing. Cause I go, Oh, you're capable of doing that. Well, maybe I'll just play a mind trick on him, right? Make the axle on one side heavier than the other. So I don't know, but punch him something that's going to challenge him just slightly outside of his capabilities, right? So, anytime you guys want to fight, I just I'm good. I think I'm I'm with James on this, where uh, you know the the hit to the face, and I'll be like, I'm, you know, I'm done with this. I, in fact, I know that for a fact, I got in a bar fight with a couple buddies. I got punched in the face, and I'm like, hey pal, listen, I'm good. You take <laughs> yeah. the win here. Let's just step aside. Let these guys fight. Like. I'll buy you a beer. <laughs> you know, like, that's good. I, I'm taking a shot. It was probably about 50% from yeah, you, John. It was about 50%. Uh, I remember. I remember that story. That was a good one. I still yeah. still remember that. Uh, well, I, uh, I got my chin split open with an uppercut. And I feel that, like, whenever people start talking about fighting and boxing, I, I like, get visions of grandeur. And then I feel that scar on my chin. I'm like, no, nah, I got knocked out. Mm-hmm. Dude hit me with a fucking clean uppercut and knocked me back. And I was like... I love this sport. <laughs> yeah, I used to hang at the door at a at a club in St. John's and watch my buddy Jim Hines uh, when the bouncer was an actual real cool <laughs> social uh, position. Um, but he knocked some people out who were just being idiots. Um, and I followed him to a hospital one night where uh, this made it real for me. But he knocked them out, and he was in 
Jim was in hospital for like four days because he busted his teeth out and his bacteria got into his hand and really fucked them up, right? Um, that, that's that's immediately what I go to, your scar position. I always think of that and like, man, humans are, you know, deep down are savages. We can really do some messed up things with, with each other. I got a scar on my knuckle from where a dude's tooth got embedded in my knuckle. And um, oddly enough, didn't have any any uh, bacterial good. infection. No rabid experience? Yeah. No, no. I was pretty lucky in that respect. All these clear thoughts for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, man, that's... Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's a scary thought thinking that you know um, that the current climate is forcing people to pivot in such a way that will eventually lead to their demise. Mm-hmm. You know, so then how do you yeah. how do you stay out in front of that, and how do you not be a contributing factor to that paradigm? Yeah, you criticize bad ideas. That's why I, that's the that's where you go. Criticize bad ideas. Anytime you as a coach or a participant are looking at that stuff that leads towards automation and a lack of human relationships. You need to bump into that conversation. Don't get nasty. Just start asking some really hard questions around its utility. James, do you foresee any negative effects of kids not having PE? So homeschool and then uneducated parents, for example, that don't know to, you know, how to play or put them through physical activities. You mean the last 30 years? <laughs> well, I mean, like y'all, y'all have children that would are in a good place to, hey, go out and do these physical activities, have fun. But a lot of parents would just... Hey, sit on the couch, sure. Here's a screen. I think it was was happening even prior to this. I think we may actually talk about it briefly on our last call, but um, I see that with my girls, too. I I just made a comment this morning. I don't think any young kids, I'll just use my young girls, 13 and 11, uh, they they should never have to go to this in their life, right, what what they're experiencing right now, um, even with what they can project and even manufacture in thoughts, right? Like, why can't we be together with our friends, right? We think that's a really easy answer, um, but that's not an easy answer. So um, just on that and connecting it to the physical thing, yeah, I'm I'm very grateful that I have some of the concepts and ideas built inside that I can offer to them of like, you know, just enjoy moving and play and doing some sport and being active. Um, but I saw that, you know, being, you know, a lock, lack of connection to the physical expression for young children um, inside the school system and inside the specialization of sport uh, for a long period now. So I think, yeah, this may uh, really end up being um, a more challenging time for years to come. So we may not see the impact of this until uh, years down the road. Because I think there's a lot of people, to use your words, will pivot right now uh, to offer what they're considering a social connection done in automatic setting, automation, automated setting that uh, is deemed to be real relationships or physical activity. Um, so I think that, yeah, this could be a ripe time where um, the, the awareness is raised, I'll say that, but I, I don't seem hopeful that the, the physical presence is going to be put back into our social atmosphere. So that, that's where my head, I guess, was swinging and getting off the pivot concept, but adaptability is there's, there's the next best thing. Like, what is the next best thing? Is it the Zoom? Is it a phone call? No, it's a, no, it's a change. It's a top-down change in, uh, in our uh, intentions inside why we teach young people physical expression. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was all good to teach them about basketball free throws. Like, I mean, I, I'm not, a, I don't have a problem with that, but that's not what we should be teaching kids about. Right. And it shouldn't be, um, it shouldn't be a reward, you know, uh, example, um, rewards, meaning like there's points and et cetera, right. Kids should be rewarded for consistency and physical challenges. And I know that sounds like woo woo and loose, but that's physicality, right. You can't be putting like, 
you know, you threw the you threw the med ball this far, and therefore that's what you got in PE class. Like that's the that's the vision of what we have inside of our teaching and education, right? And if we're like, oh, you know, inside the schools is not working, we do it in our fitness centers. Yeah, but how many fitness centers actually do that? One percent, right? One percent of total fitness centers actually have that, you know, the ID in place, like a Brand X method, where it's like, yeah, we're going to take you at three, you do teach you all these things till you're eighteen, then you're off and running, and you can do whatever you want to do with your life, including sports or you know, just be as resilient as possible, be an upstanding community member. So I don't, I don't, uh, um, you know, and I'm also saying this too, is if I'm not just like on the periphery, not doing anything about it, I'm actually doing a lot about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, that, that's a, that's a freaking big hill to climb because you gotta, you gotta go past all these institutions, right? These like Aspen Institute who are like, you know, virtue signaling the concepts of uh, sport participation for young people, right? So we gotta get past that. You know, before we even get into this physical expression thing, to get inside of public schools, to be able to talk to someone and, and the person who makes the decision is like, so how are these kids going to be scored? It's like, that's your question, right? That's your question you see. The, <laughs> and, the thinking, and how much is it going to cost me? Exactly. The thinking inside is completely just so, to your point, do we adapt? No, it's it's endless to adapt and to get burnt out over five years. Um, even this like gamifying technology VR yeah. concept no, that's not going to help this. That's not going to help it whatsoever. It's so, going to be a part of it, in the future, but it's not going to help it. What can parents do? People listening to this podcast are, are e mentors. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the onus this, John, this goes to what you've said in the past on previous episodes is you, you know, you don't rely on the, the state institutions to manage all the education for your students. Like there's a, there's a bare minimum. I think you can rely on, but now fitness is out of that. So now parents are taking on that ownership and to mentor their kids. And just like there's other core values that the, the school isn't going to teach them, you, that your job as a mom and a dad to teach them how to be you know, a, a social contributor. Now there needs to be this set of principles that you can lean on in terms of physicality and fitness where the, your son or daughter, when they turn 18, 20, or they have their own children, they're like, this is what our family always did. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, no. like whether it's religion. So, or- so there was on um, one of the local Facebook uh, Lakeway Swap, this mom posted and said, hey, does anybody have any gym equipment I can borrow? My son plays football and they don't have a weight room and we can't, you know, we're kind of shelter in place and he can't lift weights to get ready for football season. And I was like reading this thing being like, oh, my God, like, how can you imagine you're like, you know, 16, 17 years old, you want to go play football and all of a sudden here you're a shelter in place. There's no gyms open, nowhere to train and you don't have weights in your garage. And like, like, uh, you know, like every ounce of me wanted to like hit this lady up and be like, here's my number, send your son over. We'll gladly, you know, I would gladly train this kid. The problem though, is she'd probably uh, freak out and be like, you know, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sending my son over to some weird dude's place to go lift weights, you know, and like all, all the other things where uh, I think about for me when I was, you know, you guys have heard me in nausea. That's exactly what about, your parents did. Well, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I did. The old power lifter, you know, invited me to lift weights. My dad dropped me off and picked me up like five hours later. And that's, I would go to his house and lift weights. And that's how I learned how to lift weights. And like, that's where the training took place. And, um, you know, like reading this thing and I'm like, God damn, like I will never be without weights. Like I would never be in a situation when this thing whole shut down. I'm like, well, I hadn't changed my life because I would never depend upon those things. But it was just, uh, kind of an interesting kind of exercise how like you said you know uh glassman steel about the garage gym how sharp that was park your cars on the street fill it full over you know on saturdays invite your friends over and teach them too i mean it just yep be role models yeah 
and um, yeah, I mean, we've seen you know from the you know Steve Playtex of the world who you know has have a garage gym and all the kids come over and like he can't get the parents over, so he you know he and his son train in the garage and all the kids in the neighborhood come over there and train and he can't mm-hmm. get a single parent to ever show up, and he's like, how do I get their parents? And I'm like, fuck them if they don't want to come. Like train the people you want to train. If, if the kids want to come in and have fun, then I'm excited to have them there. What am I going to drag some parent in? Because I got I mean, the amount of people I've offered to come train with us that have never showed up is probably since we've been here in the 50s. Hey, you should come train with us one day. When? Any you know, day. I'm sitting right here, John. Well, I, I can't get you. To, <laughs> I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. Where you been? I'm vacation. <laughs> I'm on vacation. You guys, you guys can take care of that little script on your own time. <laughs> uh, we got anything else for James? I, all my questions have been answered. Oh, all right. We got into every nook and cranny I was looking to. Yeah, I'm just kind of jealous he's up in Idaho. I know. I know. We need that. Dude, the fishing in Idaho is amazing. One, one of you at a time can come visit. I don't know if I have the si- size of a room for all three of you. Uh, oh, we've all fit in a twin bed. <laughs> no, we can do it. Okay. <laughs> we I got all... lots of water toys, and uh, you'd have to participate, though, in some enduring activities. That's the only thing. Mm. Uh, what's, uh, are, are you on? Uh, are, are, is your place on the water? Yep. Nice. Well, as long as we're not keeping score, I'm in. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Tex didn't swim well. He, he sinks well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess uh, what's next? Thank you, Power Athlete Nation, for listening to another episode of the Premier Podcast and Strength and Conditioning. James, thank you. If, uh, if, if people want to learn more about you or, or OPEX or uh, I have three, I mean, where, where should people start going to, to dig deeper? Yeah, uh, you can search the International Functional Fitness Federation. Um, you could also go to opexfit.com, mm-hmm. um, and you can go to the Brand X Method. Those are all the things that we've, uh, we've included in our conversation today. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, James. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can find James Fitzgerald at opexfit.com, brandxmethod.com, where he specializes in youth fitness, or the International Functional Fitness Federation. Until next time, bye!